It's episode 248 of Mitch Unfiltered, and I forgot to ask you last week. Yes. We recorded the show on a Sunday, which happened to be our anniversary. Oh, congratulations. So after we were, thank you. After we recorded the show. <laughs> now, I, I celebrated 18 years too. The two of us went to Ray's Boathouse. You ever oh, been to Ray's Boathouse? Fantastic Ray's. I think I realized that I had never been to Ray's Boathouse in all the years. How could I have never been to Ray's Boathouse? That's amazing. You, you know, one of the part owners of Ray's Boathouse is? No. My former golf partner who's mad at me right about now. Oh, that guy? <laughs> And I'm not talking about the current one that's mad at you. Yeah, I'm talking yeah. about the old one that's mad at me. Oh, that old the one. NBA oh, gotcha. All -Star, yeah, oh, sure, yeah. The NBA All-Star. The NBA All-Star. He's an now, owner? Who, he is an owner. Oh, he's still an owner. He got me a table. I said, can you get me? Do wow. I have any clout? Do I have any pull? <laughs> he, got me a, uh, he got me a table on the water. The reason I bring this up is after we did the show last week, my wife and I went to Ray's Boathouse for our anniversary dinner. Mm. And we took this fakakta way that like Waze sent us through... Ballard and through, I don't know where the hell we were. It wasn't a very fun drive. And I said, driving back, why don't we drive down the waterfront and just come back 90? Yeah, yeah. And we ended up on Sunday night outside of a certain football stadium with a lot of racket going on. That crazy rock and roll music coming out of there. I don't know that it was rock and roll. <laughs> yeah. But it was one successful concert. I was like, oh, mm. Swifties in town. It sure was. And people were like, oh, my. When I tell this story, people are like, oh, my God, you must have been in bumper to bumper. I was like, no, I could have. I was in no traffic. She was actually performing. I could hear the songs. Oh, gotcha. I didn't even have to pay. I think somebody was going to stop me and ask me for money just because I could hear the songs <laughs> That's outside. Right. That's true. I'm surprised they didn't. I could have robbed the, the entire city right. while she was performing. And I thought, oh, my God, I never brought that up to Hotshot Scott. I'm wondering, is Piper not a Swifty? How old is Piper? She's got to be a Swifty. She's in the wheelhouse. She's 14. Of course. Right. I mean... Forget it. Is she was she not there on Sunday night or Saturday night? No, she was not, and oh. never once asked for tickets. How is that possible? I don't know. She's the only fourteen-year-old in the world that it's, hasn't asked for tickets. That is kind of weird now that you bring it up. <laughs> she wants to go to like Coldplay. Like she does ask for tickets to stuff, but not once did she say she wanted to go to Taylor. I, I don't know. That's weird. But like, if you asked her, she'd be like, "Yeah, I like Taylor Swift." I don't think I don't think she dislikes her. But yeah, she's not this like she didn't have this desire to go. Are you able to explain to me this this unfathomable success of Taylor Swift in this tour? I'm reading all kinds of articles about it. When it's all said and done, there's never been a tour to generate one billion dollars and she's going to generate one point four billion dollars. I'm reading all of the incredible stories of how much people are paying yeah. and they're going from oh, city to city. It's yeah. a, she's got sixty five thousand in one place and seventy thousand. I don't understand. <laughs> it's funny. I had this conversation. I, can somebody explain to no, me what no, the phenomenon is? No one can. I had no this one. conversation a week ago with a coworker who I don't think cared, but I just needed to vent. I think she appeals to kids, obviously, but I think also, you know, I think she first came out, I want to say 15 years ago, maybe. Oh. So there's there's some 20-somethings and maybe 30-somethings out there yeah. floating around that also loved her and love her, and it's safe for families to go. You Parents can take their kids. and Well, there's a lot of things that people can take their kids to, and it's safe. But I think it crosses generations. I think kids now and then like the 30-somethings, I think still love her as well. I know it's – I'm trying to wrap my head around that. I don't – It's Why is she the most successful artist of all time, apparently? Of all time. It looks like it, right? Yeah. And so I, I literally went to – She's Amazon. talented, right? Of course, but, yeah. But I'm talented. Well, that's why. Take a look at me. 
She's pretty, but I'm pretty. Yeah, Take a look at me. It's true. That I can't explain. You guys should be <laughs> you should be opening for minimum. I don't get it. But like I, I went to Amazon Music the other day. I'm like, I typed in Taylor Swift. I'm gonna see how many songs I know. Like, I think I knew a few, but it's like I I, 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 don't I, know. Wouldn't, I wouldn't know them by titles, but I think if you played them for me, right, I'd yeah. probably recognize them. Yeah, yeah. The one uh yeah. something off. I don't know. I care. Well, I did a song, I did a Mitch's melody based on one of her songs. We're never ever ever gonna be together. Right? Oh, yeah, yeah. That Isn't one. that a yeah, song? Yeah. Isn't that a Taylor Swifty yeah. song? Yeah, I did that for the uh, David Stern knockoff song. Yeah. And she started out a country artist and then moved over to pop. So she's been able to transcend formats and like generations. It's amazing what she's I doing. I have no earthly idea yeah. how she became this. I mean, this is a phenom. Yeah. I but, mean, she's Victor Wembanyama, for God's sake. I, th- <laughs> I, I could go back and look. But I swear her first album probably came out in like 08. So she's been doing this. It's not like she's hot right now. No, she's been doing this for a while. Really? She's been hot for a while. I know. Wow. And she writes songs about breakups. I think people like really think she's genuine and she like puts it all. I know come lots on, of people. I know. I, I, I'm trying. You're, you're the music guy. There's a million people know. that have been talented that have written about breakups yeah. who do shows that are safe for kids. Yeah. And they could be appearing at like the diner across the street. She's got <laughs> 75,000 people coming to 49ers Stadium. This I know. Week. It's crazy. It's, Two it shows. Crazy. It's crazy. I know. Somebody posted a cool picture of her from like 06. Where she's bigger than Michael Jackson. She's, she's standing on this little stage. Bigger than Elton John. The banner says Taylor Swift. And there's like 12 people standing around watching her when she was younger. You know, just no one knew who God. she was and just kept going and it's, kept going. And now she's the crazy. biggest star who's ever lived. It Episode is 248. Pontiac, Michigan. Hello. Oh, the home of WrestleMania 3. 2? Three. 3. 3. three. 93,000 people at the Pontiac Silverdome to watch the main event. Who was it? Who was in the main event at WrestleMania 3? So funny because I was going to just ask you, plain and simply, <laughs> what does Pontiac mean to you? I didn't even, oh. think, I didn't even think you'd come up with the Silverdome, let alone. Oh, come on. WWF. What is it called? WrestleMania 3. Yeah. I'm going to say Hulk Hogan was involved. It's just a guess. It's a pretty solid <laughs> guess because for the mid-80s. <laughs> Yeah. Was Hulk Hogan, was Mr. T involved? It's the world's great, no. Was Andre the Giant involved? Mr. T was involved in the first one and the second one. Mr. T was in the main event in the first one. Um, Yes, it's the greatest heel turn in the history of wrestling. Andre the Giant. Oh, I got it right. Undefeated, seven foot five, 500 pounds, never lost. Loved him. Hogan never once gave him a title shot. Never once. Loved him. The greatest heel turn ever when he rips the chain off Hogan's chest on Piper's Pit. It was, yeah. it was amazing. So yeah, 93,000 people came came to see it so you know about the pontiac silverdome of course. I'm not a- dude they almost went bang if if tickets wouldn't have been sold wwf would not be what vince might have had to sell it he i mean who's gonna a wrestling event for ninety three thousand people what That's other insane. big events happen at the pontiac silverdome oh boy sports wise <laughs> sports or non-sports <laughs> i don't know there was a famous concert there on new year's eve 1976 oh it would have been December 31st, 1975. As the as the calendar turned to 1976, somebody big performed at the Pontiac Silverdome really? in front of, I'll give you the number, 60-something thousand people were there. Mm-hmm. He performed on the 50-yard line stage on a platform 
10 feet off the stadium floor, surrounded by speakers and connected to his dressing room by a 70-yard tunnel. Wow. He came out at 11.10 on December the 31st, 1976. Women in glittery dresses. I'm actually reading to you from the Detroit News the next morning. This is the next morning's paper. Glittery dresses and billowing pantsuits joined kids in a rush towards the stage. Lots of screaming. Everything flickered as a generation of flash cubes. You remember flash cubes? Of course. Met oblivion, tossing scarves to the fans between songs. Mm. He went through more than a dozen numbers like... Numbers. All shook up. Oh, sure, yeah. And don't be cruel. Heartbreak Hotel and Love Me Tender and, of course, Hound Dog. And then, almost at midnight, a 10-second countdown ends in cheers, and he breaks into old Lang Syne. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. He would die two years later on August 16, 1977. It happened at the Pontiac Silverdome. Wow. There you go. Elvis Presley, one of his most famous or infamous concerts of them all. Also at the Pontiac Silverdome. Two tell. sports. Okay. Two sports. The 1979 NBA All-Star Game. Oh, and I'm bringing this up for one reason and one reason only. 1979 was a pretty good year. Imagine the, the bird NBA. coming into the league. Well, other things happened in 1979. In the city of Seattle. In the city of Seattle. Yeah. The West beat the East behind David Thompson's 25 points. Oh. They said about David Thompson. Oh, I know. I don't. I, I can tell you. He can swipe corners off the top of the backboard. Is that what you're going to say? <laughs> he can swipe a quarter yeah. off the top of the backboard and leave two dimes and a nickel. <laughs> That's what they said. But I I bring up the 79 All-Star Game because it's another way for me to get my former friend into the show who was in the 79 (laughs) All-Star Game. And I'll have you know that Jack Sigma may have only scored eight points. Yeah. But they were the most impressive eight points of that All-Star Game. (laughs) In fact, I am going to go on a rampage right now that Sigma's 8.4 rebound outburst in the 79 All-Star game warranted him to be the MVP and not David Thompson, who had 25, and not Irving, Julius Irving on the East, 29, and not George Gervin's 26. <laughs> Sigma's eight was deserving of the All-Star game MVP, and I am pissed off. I want it delivered from David Thompson's home <laughs> with two dimes and a nickel straight to Sean and Jack Sigma. That's what I want. He was snubbed, you're saying? He was snubbed. Eight points, six free throws and a layup. These were an electric eight <laughs> points, okay? Okay, sounds good. Also in the Pontiac Silverdome, I'll have you know. Yes. As we do Silverdome trivia somehow on episode 248. Yes. Super Bowl 16. Okay. Matching. Come on. Oh, boy. Come on. Come on. You can do it. Give me the year at least. 1982. Oh, are we talking Cincinnati? A young Joe Montana and San Francisco yeah. 49ers beating Kenny Anderson yeah, and the, and the Cincinnati Bengals. See, I, Bengals. Gonna, I said Cincinnati. I had it. 26 to 21. Didn't they have a rematch like five years later? With- Montana with the gaudy numbers of 14 of 22 for 157 <laughs> yards, got the MVP. And I say, give that MVP to Jack Sigma, yeah, too. No kidding, man. 150 He's yards. He's my former friend and a great golf partner. And Chris Collinsworth, a young wide receiver, oh, sure. at 107 yards. Who sang the national anthem? Oh, my God. At the Pontiac Silver Dome <laughs> in 1982. You would have loved to have been there to see really? it live. Oh, yes, you would have. Okay. It's no Taylor Swift. Yeah. 
but she was Taylor Swift before Taylor Swift. Linda Ronstadt. Bigger. Bigger. She was Barbara Taylor. Streisand. She was bigger. No, not bigger than Barbara Streisand. Well, nobody's bigger. Yeah, no one's bigger than her. She's not. <laughs> 82. Like, was she big in 82 or was she Huge. big before? She was big forever. Oh, really? Ever. Uh, she transcends time. The Supreme, Diana Ross. Diana Ross sang the national right? anthem oh, in wow. 1982 at the Super Bowl. And then the roof collapsed in 1985. <laughs> and the place was sold. It cost $56 million to build in 1975. Your kingdom cost $67 million to build and opened in 76 one year later. Yeah. Silverdome 75, Kingdom 76. So here's the ultimate stump the band question before we begin the show. Okay. The city, Pontiac, sold the Silverdome in 2009 to a group of investors because the Lions had moved out. Yeah. It was an eyesore. Nobody wanted the place anymore. Ford Field was there. Barry Sanders was gone. Yeah. Billy Sims was gone. Hulk Hogan's gone. Andre. Eric Hipple wasn't throwing. That's right. <laughs> Gary Danielson. Gary was Danielson, gone. sure. Was yeah. gone. How much did the city get from this group of investors for the Pontiac Silverdome and the land in 2009? So they didn't post it on bringatrailer.com, did they? Where <laughs> you bring your own trailer, hook it up, get it out of here. No. Uh, you said they built it for what, 70 something million? No, they built it for 56, 56 million and okay. 75. The kingdom was built. And the land? For 67 million and 76. How much did they sell it for in 2009? 60. 60 million. Let's just say your house is much more valuable. <laughs> oh, God, really? 583 grand. Really? <laughs> the land, too? Not just. 583 grand. Nothing going on in Pontiac. Just you could have gone in. You know what? I'm going to buy the Silverdome. That'd be awesome, actually. I'm going to own the Silverdome. You could just build like I a little I don't think it would have been awesome. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, nothing really happened, and they knocked it down. Yeah. Yeah. That's so sad. 583,000. So much history there. Where did we. Oh, going? the stupid area code. <laughs> I don't <laughs> even. <laughs> That's always going to have a special place in my heart for WrestleMania 3, the biggest wrestling And it's ever. always going to have a special place in my heart because of the 1979 Western Conference All-Stars led by yeah. the irrepressible blonde himself with the curly blonde oh, hair. we had the perm at the time. Probably. You know, those 79 are, was a pretty good year. Those are back, you know. Are they? High school boys are perming their hair. Sigma was ahead of his time. The fact that David Thompson with 25 got the MVP over Sigma's yeah. eight and four <laughs> rebound outbursts. <laughs> Right. <laughs> but one guy's in the Hall of... I don't know that David Thompson's in the Hall of Fame. My guy is in the Hall of Fame. That's all true. right? That's true. Hall of Famer. Yep. All right? In basketball. Not golf. Gotcha. Available on all podcast platforms. This is Mitch Unfiltered. <laughs> Subscribe and rate us, please, on Apple. I host several weekly short-form shows, including... I don't know, Danny O'Neill, Slick Hawk, Mariner's No Table, all at $5 a month. If the $5 is a legitimate problem and you're craving more content and you really can't come up with $5 a month, write me, Mitch at MitchUnfiltered.com. Guests on this episode 248. Okay. Netflix has a new, very, very popular docu-series, sports docu-series. It's okay. called Quarterback. Okay. Have you heard about it? No. Really? I haven't heard about you, it. You, no. Mr. Streaming to the Stars. I'm, I'm all in on Goliath. We'll talk about that later. Really? I texted you in the pre Have you tried Lincoln Lawyer or not? It's like normal. They used AI to recreate his voice. Oh. It's unbelievable. We've got to have somebody on the show from that. Well, that's why I texted you guys. Yes. Yes. Jesus. Yes. <laughs> but yes, his, his family signed off on it. 
and it sounds like him. Really? So he's narrating. They took it from like his book. Yeah. AI just sounds like him. Put it's it unbelievable. It's crazy. Anyway, so you ahead. don't know quarterback? No, but I'm in. Everybody's watching quarterback. I'm in. Tell me. It's an eight. Well, it's an eight show documentary that they mic'd up Pat Mahomes, Kirk Cousins, and Marcus Mariota. Okay. For the entire 2022. NFL season. Wow. Day in and day out, meetings, on the field, during games, on the sidelines. And then they put this docu-series together uh-huh. showing the great Pat Mahomes, the guy who's supposed to be great, Kirk Cousins, who's paid to be great. And then the bottom tier, I don't mean it disrespectfully, but yeah, yeah. the Marcus Mariota, the Heisman Trophy, but it never really had panned out in the um, in the NFL. It's called Quarterback. Nice. The uh, executive producers, there's two or three. One is Peyton Manning mm. and Omaha Productions. And the other is Keith Crossrow, who is who is guest number one on Mitch Unfiltered on this episode. I'm all in. Can't Surprise, you don't it. know. I expected you to know but about it. But there's so much. I, can't, I told you. I, no one can keep up. Have there's you listened to Did much. I ask you if you watch Lincoln Lawyer? You haven't watched it yet. I haven't, but it has come to me from some people that I know with good reviews. So I, I'm probably going to try it. Do I not? Point. Does my review not count? Your review was... I don't think it's for you. No. The, <laughs> that was your review, so it wasn't... The other reviews are David Thompson. Okay. My review... <laughs> Fine. ...is Jackson. Gotcha. Jim Callis, senior writer, MajorLeagueBaseball.com, and MLB Pipeline. It is a huge couple of days in the world mm. of Major League Baseball. Yep. What are the Mariners going to do? What should they do? What shouldn't they do? Are they going to make a big trade? Are they going to make a small trade? Are they going to make no trades? Yeah. Ben Williamson is guest number three. He's the uh, recent second-round pick of the Mariners. You remember the Mariners had three of the top 30 selections a couple weeks ago in the Major League Baseball draft. All three of those guys were high schoolers. Wow. So they're like six years away from being a Mariner. Right. The first college guy that they picked that's older and presumably closer is a guy named Ben Williamson, second-round pick, third baseman, William and Mary, he's 22 years old. Great kid. Nice. He is guest number three on Mitch Unfiltered, episode 248 in honor of the Pontiac <laughs> Silver Dog. You never asked if I, well, I listened to Rick Meyer or not last week. Did you listen to Rick Meyer last I week? I couldn't get to it, but I hear it's great. No, of course I listened. It was awesome. <laughs> it's, is it, what does it say about me that when he talked about Lou Holtz falling on his ass that I laughed out loud? Just picturing Lou Holtz slipping and landing directly on his back made me laugh. Now, I feel I'm bad not asking for a pat on the back. Yeah. But how many interviewers that would interview Rick Meyer <laughs> yeah. in 2023 at 53 years old would actually know that Lou Holtz fell on his ass <laughs> That's true. on the ice <laughs> when Meyer was in high school? That's doing your homework. Come right on. There, I found yeah. I found a little. I was like. When I find little, oh, I go, oh. Yeah, it's the little nuggets oh of my the best. God. Yeah. Oh, my God. But just the thought He was of good. That. He was good on the show. Yeah, he was wasn't good. He? Yeah. He doesn't, he seems like he's having a, he's not bitter. He's not what could have been. It just, it is what it is. How about how everyone made a mountain out of a molehill on the, eating a hot dog in a preseason game on the sidelines? And I didn't know that he actually got fined how much? $1,000. He and Cortez got fined $1,000. By the way, you said $1,000 hot dog. It was a thousand dollar half a hot dog. <laughs> <laughs> Did he say Cortez broke it in half and gave it to him? He didn't even get a whole fucking hot dog out of the deal for a thousand bucks. I actually remember the game, and I remember John Madden using the telestrator. Yeah. Okay, here's Rick Meyer, and here's the hot dog. <laughs> right. Right? And he's circling the hot dog, and that cost him a thousand dollars. Thousand But but as Meyer points out, and I actually remember this too, people were like mad at Meyer, like because things weren't going great with him. 
It wasn't. Oh, he wasn't great. Yeah, yeah, And yeah. so this was a way for people to pick on him. He's not paying attention. Right, and, right. He doesn't give a shit. Oh, my yeah. God. Let me ask you a question. If Geno Smith caught on camera yeah. on the sideline eating a hot dog in the first preseason game against the Vikings in a couple weeks, yeah. would any, Would that even go viral? Would anybody even care about that? It's a great question. It doesn't feel like they would. No. no it, in the world where everything's caught on camera these days with people a are season game fans are beating Nobody the shit out of each shit. other i know no one cares like it's so not shocking but i guess back then for some reason it kind of was yeah he's a human who eats food sometimes everybody calm down eat a hot dog <laughs> yeah anyway you liked the interview it was good yes it was good to hear from him i was i don't know for some reason i, I always when i think of rick meyer i think I, I hope he's doing okay i hope he's not like downtrodden and no, bummed out good. and no, he's doing good he's just a dad right he's right. a dad who goes to his kids games and he has kids that played at Michigan, but against Notre Dame, and that his parents are like the whole got one at Stanford quarterbacking. Yeah, now that's interesting, right? Yeah, kid at Stanford. Yeah, I yeah, can't wait to keep an eye on that. Good. I'm glad that you listened. I'm I, glad that you listened. And anybody who hasn't heard Rick Meyer, you know these podcasts. It's a weird thing. You can actually go back and listen to last week's. Oh, well, you can. Yeah. Well, that's good to it's, know. It stays on there for a while. I only listen live, so that's the only time I <laughs> no, hear any of the Hollywood listen live. listen <laughs> live. Yes, so if you haven't heard Rick Meyer, formerly of the Seattle Seahawks, the, the second overall pick in the 1993 NFL draft, that was on episode 247. That's not episode Pontiac Silverdome. <laughs> this episode, Keith Crossrow of the quarterback show on Netflix, Jim Callis, senior writer, MLB.com, and Ben Williamson, the second round pick, of the Seattle Mariners. So a little bit of trade deadline, a little bit of NFL training camp, quarterback on Netflix, have you seen it? And lots of other stuff, thanks in part to John Waterstrat, Fireside Home Solutions. You've got to check out the Bellevue flagship location if you're anywhere nearby, underwent a facelift. It is beautiful. Fireplaces, inside or out, garage doors. Begin your search at firesidehomesolutions.com. The Woodenville office of Cross Country Mortgage, whatever you do, don't be scared away by things that you read about interest rates and so forth. The cream rises to the top in the mortgage industry, starting with Jordan Flowers and his team, super creative with solutions that you have no idea about until you call. And it costs you nothing but five minutes. He may surprise you on the phone, 425 890 2957. When you think about Daniel's broiler, yes, great steaks, over the top pampering and service. But how about outdoor dining at Daniel's broiler on the deck at Leshy, the seaplanes at South Lake Union, overlooking the world of Bellevue Place, Daniel'sBroiler.com, Evergreen Golf Call, tax advisors, certified financial planners, experienced portfolio managers working together to bring retirement planning taxes and investments under one roof. Evergreen GK, more than just a financial advisor, Evergreen is everything wealth. Zeke's Pizza, celebrating a complete makeover to their mobile app. Remote ordering has never been easier. Download the Zeke's Pizza mobile app now and get yourself some pizza right to your door. Zeke's Pizza, homegrown in the Northwest. This is episode 248, and it begins right now. 
Unfiltered. I don't think I would mortgage my future for any kind of a rent-a-player that might expire at the end of this year. Anybody that I would acquire, I would have to believe that it's a really good, solid decision for next year and beyond. Unfiltered. Hey, Shohei, we want you to be an angel for life, and we're ready to back up the Brinks trucks. What we'd like to do is trade you, give you a chance to win a World Series in the next couple of months, and then resign you, and when you come back here, we're going to have somebody's best two prospects because we were able to trade you. Mitch is unfiltered. Episode 248, Farmington Hills, Michigan. Hello, and I'm not going to go through no, no, no. what was built in Farmington Hills. Because <laughs> we'll spend another 30 minutes on it. <laughs> oh, WrestleMania 8 was there. You don't know that. It was so good. In your world as a non-sports fan, yes. what's a bigger story this week? Seahawks training camp beginning and Devin Witherspoon holding out because he doesn't like when he's getting his bonus money. Not what bonus money he's getting when he's getting his bonus money yeah. but then he came back in the start of the whole thing with the Seahawks and everybody's excited mm-hmm. or the Mariners in the midst of a mediocre season deciding what they're going to do before Tuesday's trading deadline which is a bigger story mm-hmm. is there a third option or are we is it going with two today Taylor Swift <laughs> let's go there <laughs> I mean I don't know I'm, I'm curious to see what the Mariners are going to do I mean the Seahawks it's so far away to me, not it feels really, it's not really. A couple but, of weeks, they're going to be playing games. God, is that right? A couple yeah, of weeks? A couple of weeks, they're going to play Minnesota. So what is Jerry DePoto, general manager to the stars of the Seattle Mariners, what is he going to do? I'm a little bit queasy talking too much about it, but I, I will because it's the big story, and I agree with you. But Tuesday is the deadline. So anybody who listens to this on Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and yeah. next week, because these podcasts have a way of staying out there for a while. True. The deadline is Tuesday, August the 1st at 3 p.m. Pacific time. And by my count, there are about four main possibilities. Okay. A, number one, he does nothing. Absolutely nothing. The trading deadline comes and it goes and he doesn't do a thing. Now, he's already done one little tiny thing that doesn't count. Could Tuesday come and go and the general manager, who's probably most known around the league as being a traitor, yeah. does nothing. Are you putting these in order of what you think is no, going to happen? No, I'm just, just giving you possibilities. Okay. So this so is A1. One. That's A1. Okay. B2. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> he could trade prospects. Some of his highly regarded prospects, most of them are very young, 19 or 20, the mm-hmm. best prospects of the Mariners, and that's a bit of a problem, comes into play here. Most of their best prospects, their highest thought of prospects, are like in single A and they're like shaving now for the first time. Right. They're, they don't have 22 and 23-year-old prospects. They've got 19, 18, and 20-year-old prospects. Yeah. He could trade some of those guys to bring in somebody for the last few months of the season to make a run at that wild card. He's four and a half games back as we speak okay. after a two out of the three over the Arizona Diamondbacks. He could do that. They're hot. That's B2. Okay. You'll be surprised that C3 is next. C3PO. Yes. Or he could trade four players who could help both this season and in future seasons. Okay. You know, guys that have club control, guys that are in the middle of contracts, as opposed to B2 was getting guys for the stretch run that are rental players that come for the last two months and then they get the hell out of here. They don't even get an apartment. They live in a a hotel in Seattle. They play two months worth of games and then they sign somewhere else. 
C3 is they send prospects for guys that are signed beyond this year yep. that could help and factor into the equation next year. I think there's a pretty decent chance of that. Does that seem most likely to you? Mm, I don't know if I think it's most likely, but it seems like there's a decent chance, pretty decent chance that, that could help. Okay. I think most likely, well, maybe I shouldn't say that. I'm on the fence. Okay. He could sell off guys. Oh. Like Teo Hernandez, Teoscar Hernandez, who is a free agent at the end of the year. Mm. Uh, they could sell a Paul Seawald, who maybe a lot of teams would like that are in a stretch run and need a closer or need a need some bullpen help. Yeah. Paul Seawald, who I believe has one year left on his contract beyond this year. They could trade, I don't know, Ty France or somebody like that to a team that's in need for their prospects that would invigorate your farm system. Gotcha. Would help your farm system. Is that more of a chance? Is there more of a chance that they they sell off Teo Hernandez and Paul Seawald? Or is there more of a chance of them sending prospects for a guy that's signed beyond this season? If you sell Teo Hernandez, if you sell Paul Seawald or Tom Murphy, are you kind of sending the message to the fans? Yeah, right. We raise our hands. Mercy. Yes, you are sending we quit. that message. Yeah. We quit. That's what it looks like. Yep, we're out. Hope you guys like this season. It was a hell of a season, kids. That's, what was that, D4? I think so, yes. So E5, error oh. on the third baseman, <laughs> yeah. is the blockbuster. Oh. The much rumored now, would Logan Gilbert or George Kirby or Bryce Miller or Luis somebody big. Castillo this soon? <laughs> well, let's let us let us say Logan Gilbert. Okay. Would they trade Logan Gilbert? Would they be willing to listen to offers to somebody that's in a pennant race? A guy like Logan Gilbert, who's got four more years of club control. Yeah. He's making 700 grand. He's making right. what the Pontiac Silverdome would cost you. Uh, you and your first year at KJR. <laughs> Go ahead. Logan, yeah. he's making peanuts. Right. And he's under club control. Now, he's going to make some more money with arbitration, whatever. But he's under club control for another four seasons. And he, or, or Bryce Miller, those types of guys would be would be the top pitchers available on the trading day. Let's say Shohei Otani's not available. Right. A guy like Logan Gilbert, anybody who's looking for a pitcher, there would be a hell of a bidding war. Hmm. by any of these pennant race teams that's looking for a pitcher, they would want Logan Gilbert. I would think that Logan Gilbert would be the top pitching prospect available at the deadline if you were willing to listen and made him available. Could they do that? That's D5. Okay. So there you go. I don't think D works out. I think it's E5. E5. So you got A, he does nothing. B, he trades prospects for rental players for this year. C, he trades prospects for players that are signed beyond this year that can help not only this year, but in future years. D, he sells off guys like Seawald and Hernandez and raises his hands, raises the white flag, but then helps his farm system with an influx of, of new prospects. Or E, the blockbuster, where he trades a guy like Logan Gilbert for somebody really good some package of top-notch prospects yeah. that are going to be here for umpteen years and be the next Julio Rodriguez or the next great thing, everyday players. It's weird that prospects don't do much for me right now. I feel like, I, I know they're four and a half back from the wild card as we record, but doesn't it feel like they're a little too good to be looking 
three or four years down the road at these prospects. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not talking about prospects for three or four years down the road. Okay. I'm talking about guys that are either in the big leagues right now that are okay. just super young and getting ready to blossom. Okay. Or maybe somebody who's at double-A AA or triple-A and next year is earmarked for baseball stardom on everyday play. I'm talking about guys that are ready to help you okay. right away. I mean, obviously, you're not going to trade Logan Gilbert or George Kirby or anybody like that unless you get somebody who you think, okay, in 2024, we might win the whole damn thing with those guys. Right. That I'm interested in. That I would. Do I mean, you think fans would freak out about that? About letting? Yeah. Really? Some will. Oh yeah. Letting he, a Logan Gilbert go. But even if you get a bunch of guys back for him, look, you can have Logan Gilbert and be four and a half games out of the wild sure card in August. You sure can. What's the definition of insanity? Doing the same thing over and hoping for a different conclusion. <laughs> is that close to I it? Don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Hey, look, this is Mitch Unfiltered. I'm just bringing up, and I don't think there's any, I don't think I've missed any of the possibilities between now and August 1st. Those are the five major choices that are facing Jerry Depoto. As a Mariner fan, are you rooting for either one of those more than the others? Mm, that's a hard question for me to answer without knowing what they can get. Okay. For Teo Hernandez and Paul Seawald and Tom Murphy and guys like that. Okay. Because if you're telling me, yeah, they could trade Teo Hernandez and Paul Seawald and Tom Murphy, and they're going to get a middling prospect that's playing double-A ball that may or may not be a really good player in the big league someday, then what the hell? Yeah. Let Teo Hernandez and Paul Seawald stay for the last half of the year, and let's try to bridge the four-and-a-half game gap. And if we don't, then whatever. Teo leaves or yeah. doesn't leave and whatever. That doesn't excite. If you can get something that you're convinced, oh, this is going to be a key everyday piece of our offense going forward. I think I probably would lean that way. I know it means less of a chance, yeah. but I, you know, I look at this team, I'm a little bit more, you want to call it pessimistic, call it pessimistic. You want to call it realistic, call it realistic. You want to call it pragmatic, pragmatic. All these people like Jason Churchill, who I love is on the Mariners note table. I, I'm glad we have them guys that keep telling me, nah, you know, they're only four and a half back. They're only four and a half back. They can they can do this. They just got to get hot. <laughs> When's that gonna happen? <laughs> Is it still early? It still I'm early? still waiting for Jennifer Aniston to call. I'm sitting by the phone. She hasn't called just yet. I am not gonna squirm and screech and yell and cry if they sell Teo Hernandez, Paul Seawall, Tom Murph, somebody like that. Okay. I'm not. Others will. I'm not. Okay. I, I think I'm leaning more towards the blockbuster. Let, let's go out and make a move. Let's let's go. Let's let's see what we can get for Kirby. The thing about the blockbuster is I'm more apt to think that they ought to do the blockbuster in the offseason. Hmm. Let me tell you why. Okay. It's pretty simple why. This is not some uh, complex theory. I didn't think it was coming from you, but go ahead. Thank you. Because if you trade Logan Gilbert right now, mm -hmm. The teams that are going to want Logan Gilbert the most are the teams that are saying Logan Gilbert will put us over the top and we can win a world championship over the next two or three months with Logan Gilbert. Okay. That team is not going to trade a great everyday player right now. Yeah, right. They're, they're they, involved. They they're involved. <laughs> yeah, that true. same team in the offseason when they're zero and zero yeah. and they're not in the middle of of a huge race may look at Logan Gilbert and say, we're a better team if we trade this star player that I'm talking about yeah. for Logan Gilbert 
Okay. When we start the season, you're more likely to get a better Major League Baseball ready player or players during the offseason because you're not going to get them from pennant contending teams right now because they need those players. Yeah, yeah. You're going to get prospects. Yeah. That's what you're going to get, prospects. Okay. So... I think my inclination is if you're going to move a guy like Logan Gilbert, and I'm not saying, hey, move him. We've been talking about this for months. People laughed at me. You're going to talk about this for months. But I think if I were going to do or entertain the block, and what's your real, what are you really doing? You're borrowing from Peter or you're stealing from Peter to pay Paul. Right. You don't have a good enough offense. You're not willing to spend major dollars in the free agent period. We know that. Unless they do it with Shohei. And so you have this suffering offense, but you got all this great pitching, and that imbalance is not working. It's working to be three games over 500, right? right? That's what you get. So what what are you really doing? You're doing this in the offseason. You're saying, okay, we are so stacked at starting pitchers with Brian Wu coming and Bryce Miller coming and Emerson Hancock coming and... Robbie Ray potentially coming back from injury. We got we got we we got so many pitchers. We don't know what to do with them. Lousy with pitchers. Let's take a little of our pitchers, a little of our strength, yeah, and help our weakness and balance our team a little bit. We'll take a step back pitching wise yeah. by giving up a Logan Gilbert, but we'll take a step up offensively by putting some aircraft carrier in the middle of the lineup. That's what you would be doing. Now, some people call me crazy. They say, don't ever do that. Pitching doesn't grow on trees. Yeah. Pitching is far yeah. more rare than hitters. You can always get hitters, Mitch. I, I've been hearing this for years. Where are they? Hitters <laughs> grow on trees. Pitchers, yeah. are, it's a rare commodity. Protect those. Where are those trees? <laughs> right. What's the name of the state? The Evergreen State? Yeah, yeah. Are those trees around? Where, where, where can are we all shake these, a couple of those hitters out? that everybody's talking about? <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, um, I, that makes sense. I mean, I know Mariner fans are probably a little more apprehensive about doing like trading a Logan Gilbert because oh, they've yeah. been burned in the like oh, Adam yeah. Jones a few weeks oh, ago, yeah. right? Yeah, great example. Just go watch Gilbert win four Cy Young somewhere, right? I mean, like I can see their apprehension because it feels like the fans have been burned before, right? No, I can't think of anyone else besides Adam Jones, but I'm sure they have. Veritek, there you go. There's another one, There's right? There's plenty. There's plenty. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, we'll see you Tuesday, there right? Was, there was a little guy named Randy Johnson. I don't know how. How did he do after he left here? <laughs> Four Cy Youngs, I think, as a matter of fact. His, his bad back maybe must have healed. Per, maybe a perfect game? Or? <laughs> yeah, something like that. He, whatever became of yeah, that guy. He did okay. I forgot. Did Tino right. Martinez won a World Series as well. Three yeah, interviews. Was... Keith Crossrow <laughs> is the executive producer of the Netflix docuseries Quarterback. Jim Callis is the senior writer of MajorLeagueBaseball.com. He's got a lot of interesting comments of where the Mariners as an organization is right now in terms of the farm system. And Ben Williamson, Big Ben, the second-round pick, third baseman out of William & Mary who just signed a contract with your Seattle Mariners episode 248. And then a lot of other stuff. Tons. It's been a while since we caught up with Jordan Flowers, my main man of the Woodenville office of Cross Country Mortgage. How's everything going in Jordan's world? Hey, Mitch, it's going fantastic. I'm uh, chasing old Mitchie in the <laughs> Manager of the Year Award for Little League Baseball. How many teams you got over there? You know, I was the manager of two, both my 10 and 8-year-old. Uh-huh. And I got to say, uh, <laughs> I'm going to be giving you a run for your money, Combined man. record? Oh, gosh, we only lost probably 
six games. Oh, that's six more season. than I lose. I don't lose. Hey, hey, hey. All right, let's talk about the market, the buying and selling market. It's not easy these days, but it's still doable, especially for home buyers. Give us your analysis, Jordan. Absolutely. Uh, inventory is still a little tight, but better than it was. But we are winning a lot of offers and using that 2-1 buy-down program we've talked about. Tell me about that program. Yes. So basically what we do is we are negotiating with the sellers, getting a price that they want, getting a credit towards uh, closing costs for our buyers. And they use that credit to then temporarily buy down the interest rate for the first two years of the home. So we get through this kind of elevated interest rate period with a 2% lower rate than what market is at. Are people still buying second homes and investment pieces? And what do you have to offer those types of clients? Yeah, people are buying in Arizona, California, Eastern Washington, kind of all over. We're helping people buy second homes and investment properties. We've got a couple great options for the investment property buyer, uh, especially uh, using that debt service underwriting ratio that we've talked about in the past where they don't even need to provide tax returns. Really what we look for is qualifying our buyers off of the cash flow of the property. So it's a great program right now for people looking to pick up investment properties at good prices, get an income producing property. Is there a way to have a best guess of what the next six months or a year look like? Does Jordan Flowers have a crystal ball? <laughs> I thought I had a crystal ball, but you know. <laughs> Is it Ernie Zampezi's story? I'm not going to say when. I'm just going to know it's coming, right? Like, we're going to get through this, and they're coming back down. I think, I think we should expect for the rest of this year rates to maintain in the 6% range. Maybe we see them by the end of the year get back down in the fives. But I will say when they do come back into the low sixes to mid fives, it will, again, open up floodgates for buyers and for sellers bringing properties on. So there is pent-up demand. It's sitting there, and it's just we're, we're waiting. Well, I've always loved Jordan Flowers and his team at uh, both companies, not Cross Country Mortgage, the Woodenville office, because they're willing to take your phone call and be creative. Think outside the box. And to reach you on a phone that doesn't have a full voicemail, Jordan Flowers? <laughs> <laughs> hey, listen, I just got a new phone. Okay. My kids like to tease me that I'm the no upgrader. Okay. I don't upgrade my phone. Okay. I've had the same one for six years. All right. And I've now upgraded, and I'm setting up the voicemails. Everything's going to be Phone number? Here. Same phone number? Give us the number, please. 425-890-2957 is the best one to reach me on. The Woodenville office of Cross Country Mortgage and J-Flow, Jordan Flowers. Without guys like him and companies like theirs, where would Mitch Unfiltered be? Cross Country Mortgage. Unfiltered. This is about as close as they'll ever get to seeing what it's like to be a quarterback in this league. I dedicate my life to football. All day, all day. I love to compete. I love the relationships that come with that. I wouldn't trade it for anything in the world. You may have heard by now, Netflix, in conjunction with NFL Films, has a very popular new series out called Quarterback. One of its executive producers joins us now on Mitch Unfiltered, Keith Costro. How are you, Keith? Congrats on all the success. Thank you, Mitch. Great to be with you. And uh, it, it's great to have been a part of such a a special project. Mm. We're, we're just thrilled with the response to quarterback. Tell us the response 
to a quarterback. I was uh, I was out and about in the community. I hear people talking about it. I interviewed Rick Meyer on last week's show. He uh, unsolicited talked about the the series, how much he liked it, and how much it brought him back to when he was getting hit for the Seahawks back in the nineties. It's been an incredible response. No, beyond anything we imagined. Uh, it, it spent a week right out of the gate at number one on Netflix in the U.S. It was in the top ten in fourteen different countries. Uh, we're just thrilled. We we you know we were hoping like man. I, Hope it gets in that like top 10 for like a, a minute, you know, <laughs> that would be, that would be cool. And doesn't hurt when you have Patrick Mahomes um, as a subject in a, in a docu-series, he's pretty popular, but the reaction, it's not just that people are watching it. It's that people are taking away so much from it. That's beautiful. You know, everybody I talk to who's watching it and it's, you know, it's from my kids, friends and baseball dads, people and you didn't tell to watch it. They're just watching it and they see your name in the credits. And then so many people are saying the same thing, which is I, I never knew mm. that's how hard it really was. Mm. And I think for all of us, that's especially gratifying when we went into this project with Peyton Manning, with Netflix, uh, when we talked about it with the quarterbacks last summer, I think that's the thing we all wanted the world to see is that this is, the hardest job in sports. I mean, that's the first thing you hear in the show. Peyton Manning says that. And I think over the course of eight episodes, that's what the audience learns. We understand why Mahomes and his production company is a part of this. Why Mariota and Kirk Cousins? Well, one of the purposes was to show the whole spectrum of the experience of being a quarterback in the NFL. And from that perspective, we couldn't have possibly asked for a better trio than, than those three. You have the player who is at the pinnacle of the sport. You have a quarterback who is universally understood to be in, you know, among the top 10, 12, 15 quarterbacks in the world and got there through hard work, but takes a ton of heat mm -hmm. and a ton of criticism all the time. It, it doesn't seem like anything Kirk Cousins does is enough. Mm -hmm. And then you've got a guy who was from your neck of the woods, was a, was a Heisman Trophy winner, a terrific player, a terrific guy, second pick in the draft who hasn't found that success in the NFL, but was going to get a second chance at being a starter in Atlanta and Marcus Mariota. And we thought that's just, you're really going to get a sense of things. We could have never predicted that mm -hmm. each of them would have. Sure such an interesting season for so many different reasons, but boy, did it, it work out from a, from a story sense. People seem to be Keith really gravitating towards cousins. He's won over a lot of fans. Thanks to your show, the shirtless scene on the plane. Do you guys ever worry that there's some playing for the camera and it loses any organic element to it with the cameras and the microphones? No, not at all. Uh, none of that. Well, first of all, we didn't have a camera with the shirtless cousins. That was on the plane with his teammates. Right. Um, these guys are so used to being mic'd up. What we had never done is mic up a quarterback for an entire season. We had done uh, the first person ever to be mic'd up for an entire season. And and no one believes this, but it's true. It was Bill Belichick in 2009. Really? 
Huh? Yeah, well, we did. And it ended up being the first the, the first episode of A Football Life. It was a double episode mm-hmm. uh, on NFL Network. And um, we, we, we mic'd them up for a whole season and we sat on it for a couple of years. And then we made that documentary, um, you know, once we were all in agreement on what would be the best use of it. Since then, we've done Ray Lewis, a couple other people for the Hard Knocks in Seasons and the and the All or Nothing series, but never a quarterback. So, and one thing is, if you're going to wear a mic every game, you're not going to be thinking about it. That right. the, you, There's no playing to the cameras. You know, at some point, you just got to do your job. And right. Right. I think that's what that's what these guys did. They, they wore a mic every game and once a week in practice. And, you know, as much as the on the field stuff was important, getting them off the field and seeing their private lives was equally important. Well, the Mariota story of him leaving the team somewhat controversially opting for surgery in the midst of the first child being born, that storyline really nicely dropped into your guys' lap. It's unfortunate that 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 his season ended that way. Um, we wouldn't have. I mean, that's not something you, any of us were hoping for. He's such a terrific guy. But when it did, it was a challenge because so much was happening in his life at that moment. And, you know, you have to be respectful. He had just, his wife had just had their first child. And then the next day he gets benched. That's a tough spot for anybody to be in. Mm-hmm. I, I can't imagine it, mm-hmm. actually. I mean, it's, you know, you think, I, I mean, we can all sit here and say, these guys make millions of dollars. What are they upset about? But look, it's, you know, this serious life stuff happening to, to a young man. He was great about it and allowed us to come film with him when they had, when they left Atlanta for Vegas, Mm -hmm. he was very, he didn't say a word publicly at the time, but we, we got the story. He he left and had knee surgery. He had a meniscus tear and it was one of those things you could try to play through, but you're eventually going to need surgery. So that's the route they went. And at that point, once we got that, we realized we're going to have to get Arthur Smith's side of the story too. Uh, Cause we weren't using a narrator. So we interviewed Arthur. We interviewed the other two coaches as well. Andy Reed um, and Kevin O'Connell. And mm-hmm. th- th- those are the only people aside from the wives and quarterbacks that are interviewed for the show, which is one of the reasons we think it has such an intimate and personal feel about it. What it's was not secondhand perspective or third hand. What was off limits, Keith? I read somewhere that the Andy Reid, Pat Mahomes meetings were off limits. Yeah, Andy, you know, he's not big on the access stuff. We've never done a hard knocks with him. He doesn't like to be mic'd up during games. He, he doesn't like it when his meetings are shot. So we, we agreed with him. We could get enough with Patrick off the field. He does so much work away from the facility. Yeah. And we've shown a lot of stuff in team facilities over the years on hard knocks and other shows. So we said, let's take a shot here. It's Patrick Mahomes. If we get what we, what we think we're going to get from practice and from him at home and and doing other things, maybe, maybe the audience won't miss it or, and, and, and it won't feel like a missing piece. And I think that's how it worked out. Would we have loved to shoot Andy and Patrick? Of course. In meetings. Yeah, Yeah. for sure. But, There's so much here that yeah. gives you so much insight into why Patrick Mahomes is who he is. I mean, the work he does with his trainer, Bobby Stroop, that we were allowed to capture several times over the course of the season is unbelievable. There's one moment in the seventh episode before the playoffs start where his trainer tells him, here, we're going to do this. 
And every time I watch it, and I've watched it 500 times now mm-hmm. through the editing process, I cover my eyes and like scream at the, at the, <laughs> at the screen. Don't do it. Don't. And Patrick says, I'm not, I'm not doing that. Are you crazy? And then uh, <laughs> the trainer says, no, do it. Uh, you know? And, and when he does it, you can't believe it. It's uh, so athletic and difficult that, that, you know, you just realize this is a, a freakish athlete who works incredibly hard with the best techniques and the best training that you can get. And that's why he's the best football player in the world. Keith, were there other quarterbacks that were reticent or were these the first three that you approached? I would imagine now that you've done one and I I saw where Peyton Manning said you've been greenlit for 2023, there's probably already in the works the next three, but I'd imagine now that you've got one down and it's so popular and well-received, that'll open up more doors to quarterbacks being willing to do this. We would hope so. And nothing's official yet about a season two. Um, we'll see what happens. We certainly are eager and excited to do it. And I think everybody is. But, you know, everybody's in a different situation in their careers. And you have to respect that. So we talk to a lot of different quarterbacks all the time about doing a lot of different things. And and those conversations are ongoing now. And uh I think I think a lot of the quarterbacks are watching the show and I think they like it. Mm-hmm. And I think that I think you're right that it does lead to more of them being interested in engaging in, in this or another project. like. You it. know what people in our audience are yelling right now? Russell Wilson, Russell Wilson. <laughs> they want Russell Wilson in Sierra. You think Russell will ever do it? He's just so he's so private away from. Well, maybe not as much as you might think, but you think he'd ever do it? I think that. Russell has an interest in documenting his career and uh and I think mm. I think he is uh I mm. think he has engaged in, in in some of that already and we'll see what what happens with it but ah. I think I think um maybe a season with Sean Payton out in Denver is uh without the cameras there might be might be a good idea but it would also be incredibly interesting to see that's for sure you sound like your first season together keith you sound like you're being very careful with that response are you being (laughs) are you are you holding something from our seattle audience keith what are you doing no 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 uh, hey no look i think we all know russell is uh uh, he, he, he's very self-aware. So uh, I, I think he's he's savvy and knows that it, it's important to, to capture things and, and present so them when you can. You mentioned earlier, and, and this is what this series is all about. It's called Quarterback. It's on Netflix in association with Peyton's production company, Pat Mahomes' production company, of course, NFL Films. More specifically, Keith, what is it that the typical NFL fan – who slips on his favorite team's jersey on Sundays, watches the red zone. What is it that we don't understand about the job of quarterbacking? What is it? That it's 365 days a year, 24-7, all 365, is so all-consuming that it's not really like anything any of us experiences. Because on top of everything else, you know, anytime these guys leave the house, it's a thing. They're going to run into somebody who wants something, if not multiple people. Everyone they talk to wants something from them. So there's that that celebrity element of it. But to be a quarterback in the NFL, putting that aside, the amount of mental preparation, physical preparation, the emotional roller coaster, the constant need to get better just to keep up, it never ends. Mm. It's a high-stress, high-pressure job. 
it takes a, an incredible toll on your body. You know, one of the things that's so interesting in the show is that Kirk Cousins allows us to see him visit with the Vikings team psychologist multiple times. I think the psychological part of it is so challenging and something that Kirk was, we're so grateful that he was so open about it mm -hmm. because that's something we can all learn from, you know, don't be, don't be afraid to talk to someone right. when, when life gets challenging. Right. But then, you know, that guy gets in his car and he's practicing uh, play calls with himself or putting on wires on his brain to, to train his brain to be quicker in its processing. Mahomes is in his basement, which looks like a man cave, but what he's doing down there is studying tape after he goes home from studying tape all day and practicing. And then he goes and he draws up his own plays. It never, ever ends. And it, it, it was also insightful to just see that Kirk Cousins takes a day every week where he just says on Tuesdays, no football. No football. That's for, that's for family, my family. family. Anything but yep. football. Yep. And I think that's a great way to maintain your mental health and yep. and make sure. And, and I think it's important because the season is so long and it's such a grind. But it all adds up to one, one really, really hard job. And anyone who watches it is going to walk away. And, and I've had so many people have said to me, I'm sure said, yeah, you mentioned Rick Meyer talking about it. Just the pounding these guys God. take on a Sunday. Yeah. Nobody knew Kirk Cousins had these bruised ribs for half the season last year, but took a, a nasty hit in Washington on a 50 yard bomb. He completed. And then he had to play for weeks with, you know, and he never missed a practice, mm. never missed a rep in practice. So he mm. didn't need to be on any injury reports. Like if every player with bruised ribs had to be on injury reports, there wouldn't be anybody in the NFL who isn't on yeah. the injury report. Well, so, it's, it's a tough, tough life. It's by far and away the most important position in sports. No question about that. So I'll leave you with a bit of a bizarre question. I've said for years, both on the radio and now on the podcast, years I'm saying this, that I actually believe the quarterback position has become too important, too weighty, because, you know, there's 22 starters, and then you've got your rotational defensive linemen and defensive backs, plus special teamers, and yet you really have no chance if you aren't in some ways lucky enough to have a quarterback. Am I off my rocker on that? Oh, of, cor of course not. But I would go a step further. And I know this has become a little bit of a, of a hot topic in the last couple of years. There is a market efficiency to having a quarterback on a rookie contract oh. that is unlike anything else in the NFL. Well, if you that. have a, and you experienced it in with Seattle Russell. with yeah. Russ. Yeah. When you hit, hit the lottery in the draft with a quarterback, you've got to win a Super Bowl on his first quarter, on his first contract before he gets the, the massive payday. You saw it with Jalen Hurts in the Super Bowl last year, Mahomes' first Super Bowl, Burrow taking the Bengals to the Super Bowl two years ago. We see it over and over again. So, like, to me, that is the best path to the Super Bowl in the NFL. A quarterback in his second or third year who's on his way to stardom and you can surround him with the most talent he'll ever be surrounded by. Is that an impossible task? No. I, I think we all know that drafting a quarterback is like the most inexact science in sports. Who knows what the formula is to get that right? But if you do, you better win. Mm -hmm. You better win on that first contract or you're, or you're it's going to be tough. The name of the docuseries is Quarterback. It's on Netflix in association with NFL Films. He is one of its executive producers. Really kind of him to spend a few minutes with us here on Mitch Unfiltered. Keith, thanks so very much. My pleasure, Mitch. Take care.
It's been a while since my friend and Mitch Unfiltered partner, John Waterstrat joined us, and there's good reason. He's been busy. An exciting major facelift to some of the fireside showrooms. How are you, J-Dub? I'm doing great, Mitch. Thanks for having me back. And yes, it, it has been busy, and we're excited to unveil some new, cool new projects. We have a new sales director that came along, and he's been putting his footprint on the showrooms, and we're excited about what he's doing. We're going to put some new fireplaces you've never seen before and then we're redoing our whole outdoor kitchen area. Wow. The fantastic flagship Bellevue location was already beautiful, so I can't wait to drop by and see it. So what's the rumor about some big project you're coming up, some enormous fireplace that you guys are ready to install? Yes, our commercial department's doing a fantastic job and as we've talked about before, we can do almost anything in fireplaces and custom fireplaces are getting bigger and bigger and we're hoping to uh, unveil the one of the largest fireplaces in North America. It's going to be pretty exciting stuff. How big? Roughly 25 feet. And you're not going to tell us where it is, but we'll be able to see it sometime? And we'll be able to see it and we'll talk about it. Yeah, it'll be exciting. Oh, that's yeah. going to be fun. So now that we've reached, let's call it the off-season for fireplace use, it's actually, you and I talk about this, one of the better times of the year to start the process of redoing the fireplaces in your home or, like you guys did for us, an outdoor unit. Yes, I mean, when the weather gets nice out there, things go a little bit faster. So we're not fighting the weather, whether we have to extract a fireplace, put a new one in. And then again, outside as well, when you're out there, we can get something done pretty quickly for you right now. And so when you're looking at the off season and you have a schedule and, and you want to get something done quickly, it's the best time to do it. Yeah. Whether it's fireplaces or garage doors, begin your search at firesidehomesolutions.com. I'll bet you'll end your search there too. It's sponsors like John and Fire Side that make our shows and growing guest lists possible. Fireside Home Solutions and FiresideHomeSolutions.com. Hey, look who it is. Katie Versio, the Director of Financial Planning, Evergreen Golf Call. Hi, Katie. The market's up. How's everything at Evergreen? I'm doing well, Mitch. Thanks for having me. Everything here is going well. How are you doing? Everybody is good here. I'm ready for the new trivia quiz. The theme today is what? Today we're doing a economic and market update. I'm okay. revisiting some of the questions we discussed at this time last year and just seeing how things have changed. Questions that I undoubtedly missed at this time last year. I'll try to get some answers right and I'm ready for question number one from Evergreen Golf Call. So the Federal Reserve started increasing interest rates in March of 2022 in an effort to cool inflation and slow down the economy without tipping us into a recession. How many times has the Fed raised rates since March of 2022? Is it seven times, nine times, or 11? It's a lot. I'm throwing seven out. It's either nine or 11. 11 sounds extremely high. I'm gonna go nine. So it actually is 11 times. Oh. Yeah, so the Fed has the fastest tightening cycle on record where interest rates have increased significantly. Now we see the two-year treasury around 4.8%. So while we don't know what will happen moving forward, if they're going to raise again, if they'll pause or if they'll cut, we think now is a good time to lock in yields on fixed income. And of course, Mitch is in a familiar spot. Oh, for one, I'm ready for question number two. OK, so in June of 2022, the inflation rate was 9.1 percent, the highest rate in four decades. What's the current inflation rate as of June 2023? 
Is it 3%, 4%, or 5%? Well, it's way down, but I don't think it's down to 3 so I'll go 4% B again. It's actually 3%. Oh. So inflation has come down significantly over the last 12 months. In addition, unemployment has stayed low under 4%. Right now it's under 3.6%. What they've been doing appears to have had some effect on these markers. And there I am at 0 for 2. I'm probably staring at another 0% in the face. I'm ready for question number three. Have a little mercy on me, would you please, Katie? <laughs> All right, I'm giving you an easy one this time. So it's a true or false. Okay. Both stocks and bonds are up in 2023. Absolutely true. I'm going to get one right, Katie. Ding, ding, ding. That's right. <laughs> Stocks are up 19% and bonds are up a little over 2%. So this is following the worst year on record for a balanced portfolio that I know we've talked about in the past. So it's been a strong start in the first half of the year. All the ups and downs over the last many years make this a great time to learn more about my partner, Evergreen Golf Call, a one-stop shop for all of your investment needs. Learn about them at evergreengk.com. to begin the bottom of the seventh. That's it for Logan Gilbert. Oh, oh he got another one. Get going. Otani has done it again. Santa Maria. As Major League Baseball's trading deadline comes and goes, there's no guy, no guy I'd rather speak to about minor league prospects and the overall health of organizations than Jim Callis. Senior writer, MLB.com, MLB Pipeline, always been kind to us with his time. How are you, Jim? I'm doing good. How are you doing, Mitch? It's good to hear your voice again. It's a big time of the year in Major League Baseball. You can follow him at Jim Callis MLB. As of this recording, Jim, the Mariners haven't done anything substantial buying or selling-wise. It's not in Jerry DePoto's DNA to do, no <laughs> to do nothing. They're kind of mired in what we call the 500 quicksand. What should they do, do you think? Well, I mean, I think I think they should do what Jerry usually does, which is listen to what's going on and, and, and figure out what the market has. And then make the decision based on the deal. I mean, you should always listen. Like, I've never felt that any player should be untouchable. I mean, like, look, they're not going to trade J-Rod, but who knows if somebody was going to give you, I don't even know what the offer would be. Like there's an offer out there that would make it worth trading J-Rod. So you should never say anybody's untouchable and you should listen. But, you know, honestly, Mitch, I don't buy the, oh, they need to trade a pitcher to get some offense. I mean, yes, they could use more offense, but you should only make that deal if it's a good deal to make. I wouldn't go into it. And I don't think Jerry looks at this way. Like, we definitely have to get some offense, so I'll just take whatever I can get, you know, whatever right. looks like the best deal out there. You know, Logan Gilbert seems like he's mentioned in a lot of potential trades. Uh, you know, when they get bandied about, when people are speculating about what might happen, and it's hard to find. I think it's harder to find good young pitching than it is to find good young hitting. So honestly, I'd be everything equal, more inclined to hold on to my good young pitching and try to address the offense in the offseason. You're so good that you've answered my second question before <laughs> I've even asked it. The, the debate about Logan Gilbert or somebody like Logan Gilbert because they've got a lot of pitching 
I was going to ask you if that's a mistake. It sounds like you think that is a mistake. Let me ask you part B of that question. Well, we'll, uh, we'll see, Mitch. I mean, it depends on what you get. If, yeah. if you're getting a really quality young hitter that you think, like, and again, I don't know who that necessarily would be. Right. I'd do that. I wouldn't go trade him for of Tim course. Anderson or something. But it would, ha- it would have to be somebody that I hold in the same esteem as Logan Gilbert, not, right. hey, let's trade Logan Gilbert to get a bat because we need a bat. No, so, no, 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 no. Yeah. I'm talking about... Trading Logan Gilbert, taking from your pitching staff and, and turning some of your pitching staff into everyday help. That's what we're talking about here. And, and I'm wondering aloud, Jim, whether if you're inclined to do that, would you be better at the deadline when the acquiring team can use Gilbert uh, down the stretch or are you better doing it in the offseason, do you think? Well, I mean, the, the tough part is they're, I mean, they're trying to make the playoffs again. So it's not like they're just doing a sell job. So theoretically, they're trading him to, you know, if, somebody, if somebody's getting Logan Gilbert to help him down the stretch, that team's trying to win too. I, I just think they're kind of in this, this tough needle to thread where you want to improve the team and build for the future at the same time. So, mm-hmm. I, you know, it would just depend on who you thought you could get, honestly. Seems to me that you're not going to get Major League Baseball talent from a contending team now, obviously, but you might during the offseason if you're going to move one of those pitchers when everyone's 0-0 zero and zero again. Yeah, I think it's an easier time to do in the offseason when the team you're trading with is not also trying to thread the needle and get into the playoffs. I mean, I know they're five and a half back in the wild card race, and that's a lot. You know, I mean, that, that's a lot to make up, even though it doesn't sound like much, in just two months. And, and they have several teams they have to leapfrog over. So it's going to be tough. Yeah, I think you're right. I, I think it's easier to make these moves in the offseason when then both sides can then make corresponding moves to fill holes that a trade might create. Right. I really like Logan Gilbert. <laughs> so if it was a guy who I felt was like a comparable young talent to Logan Gilbert, sure, I would do that. But I mean, how many 26-year-old pitchers are you going to get with a, a six to, you know, strikeout to walk ratio? Yeah. I mean, I know you have George Kirby there, so it makes Logan Gilbert look like, oh, he's not throwing a ton of strikes compared to, to George Kirby. And I'm being silly now, but like there aren't that many pitchers and Logan's got what is it four more years before he's a free agent after this one lots of club control tons you better be getting like a comparable 26 year old position player with similar club control I'm not just trading him to make a you know to like oh we're gonna make a desperate move and again I don't think Jerry will I I think Jerry's gonna do what Jerry always does Jerry's always talking trade and he's seeing what's out there but again Logan Gill to me is extremely valuable he would probably be the best pitcher on the market I would think that you could realistically acquire if he were on the market. Right. And again, I don't think it's like, hey, we're, we're determined we're going to trade him. No. And, and I think those trades are easier to make in the offseason. There was a time, Jim, that if the Mariners wanted to buy, let's flip the conversation around instead of selling. If they wanted to buy, they had all kinds of talent littered in MLB Pipeline's top prospects to use. That's not so much the case anymore because all those guys are on the big league team. How healthy, in your estimation, is the Mariners' system these days? And does the organization now need to restock somehow outside of the draft? Well, I mean, you're always looking to acquire more talent. It's just, you know, they've kind of flipped the cycle. I mean, they had one of the best systems in baseball. And a lot of those guys are in the big leagues now. It's not like those guys weren't good. You know, George Kirby and Logan Gilbert and J-Rod and Kelnick hasn't lived up to his billing, but like he's had his moments, but like, you know, and on and on and on, Cal Raleigh, those guys are in the big leagues. So it isn't that the system dried up. It's that it got guys to the big leagues. And at the same time, they began to win 
So again, you're not in the mode of, hey, we're going to trade veterans to get prospects to build the farm system. You're trying to get talent that can help you win at the big league level. So I think it's just kind of a matter of where they are in the cycle. I think they're middle of the pack. I mean, they still have you know, some very attractive prospects. You know, Harry Ford, Cole Young, Gabriel Gonzalez are all in our top 100 prospects list. You know, Emerson Hancock's had his moments. Jonathan Classe was in the Futures game. You know, they had three of the top 30 picks in the draft. Um, that gave an opportunity to restock there. I really like their fourth rounder too. I, I think is a guy who's a little underrated. So I, I think they're, they're, they're in the process of trying to build it back up, but they're just kind of in a in that cycle where you were rebuilding the farm system and then the farm system got really strong and did its job. And now you're, you're back to trying to build it back up. But right, right. the primary goal is you're trying to win at the big league level. So you know, if you could make a right move and get on saying, hey, we're just trading Harry Ford for a guy who can help us now. I'm not saying make silly trades, but I do think they're at a spot where if they could trade prospects for a veteran or a, 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 I shouldn't say veteran, I should say a big leaguer, especially one they could build around, I, I think they would probably think about doing that. Jim, you just mentioned them being in the middle of the pack, their organization. Not only are they in the middle of the pack, but the three guys that you mentioned that are in your top 100, Harry Ford, Young, and and Gonzalez, they're all like 19, 20 years old and, and in low in the low minor leagues, in Class A ball. So they don't have any top prospects on the way anytime soon. No, I mean, I think Emerson Hancock, and I I think Emerson Hancock, you're looking more at a decent big leaguer than a guy, you know, like a guy who maybe, you know, especially on their pitching staff, would pitch, you know, in the four or five slot than a frontline guy. But, like, Emerson Hancock is is fairly close. But you're right. I mean, the the, the top three guys they took in the draft, plus, honestly, the guy they got in the fourth round, like, those guys are all high school guys, too. So most of their talent is concentrated at, you know, in rookie ball and at the A-ball level. So, again, outside Emerson Hancock, and I think he's going to be more complimentary player. Yeah. I don't know that they really have a guy who's going to come up and, and make much of an impact who isn't already in Seattle. Did they make a mistake with Hancock? Drafting, uh, draft, I mean, when they drafted him, if they would have heard you say he's going to be a complimentary player. Now, he's been injured, and I don't know whether those injuries go back to his college days, but was that too much of a stretch at the time, would you say? No, he, he won't worry. Like, I, I, honestly, I look at draft picks, Mitch, I, I, you know, and again, I mean, I devote a great part of my life to covering the draft. I think you have to look at it in the context of the time. I mean, yes, if we go back and look at it now, should he have been, was he the sixth best player in the draft? No, he, you know, he's not going to be the sixth best player in the draft. But at the time, that, that is where he belonged in the draft. Like, there's some guys ahead of him who are actually worse. Like, Austin Martin went right ahead of him, yeah. and Austin Martin looks terrible right now. Mm-hmm. And then people thought Austin Martin should have been the number two pick. You know, he had – I went to Georgia, so I followed probably Hancock closer than, than most people would. You know, his sophomore year, he was the best college pitcher in the country. And he had a – I can't remember if it was a – well, he had a, an injury. It didn't require surgery. He missed two or three weeks. He came back. And he was ne- he was good, but he wasn't great. And then the next season started. It was the pandemic year. Yeah. He made four starts. There was some thought that he was kind of you know, during the non-conference schedule using that to kind of get to where he wanted to be for the SEC season. And we never had an SEC season because of the pandemic. So I, I don't I don't blame him for the pick. And I will say this: I, I don't think he's going to wind up being one of the top six players in the draft. But if Emerson Hancock, let's say he's a guy who can be a number four starter, that's still a very valuable player Mm -hmm. to have, you know, to give you any, let's say he could give you 175 innings a year and he's, he's decent in the number four slot. That, that's still a contributor, and every team would want a guy like that. So, 
I don't think they made a mistake necessarily. You mentioned they had three of the top 30. I don't know these guys. I just know them by name. Number 22, Colt Emerson, all high schoolers. 29, Johnny Farmello. 30, uh, Ty Pete. You say you dedicate a lot of your life to the draft. Did they reach on any of these guys? Did you like these picks at the time a couple of weeks ago? I did. I did. And, and, and no, I don't think they reached. They all kind of went in the area of the draft where they were supposed to go. Um, you know, Cole Emerson, I actually thought was going to go higher. I didn't think he'd necessarily get to their pick, or I thought he was going to go right around there. And if yeah. they hadn't taken him, I think he very well might have gone 23 to Cleveland or 24 to Atlanta, 25. To he was going to be in play for everybody after them. Um, he can really hit. Might be more of a third baseman than a shortstop in the long run, which I think is fine. I mean, Cole Young's one of their best prospects, and he's better chance to stay at shortstop than him. Johnny Formello's a physical guy, like with speed and play up the middle, center fielder. And there, there's some power potential there. So he's really interesting. And then Ty Pete had one of the fastest bats in the draft. He's got plus arm strength. He's got plus speed. He's got plus raw power. He was up to 95 on the mound last summer. He actually walked off the mound in the middle of a showcase. It looked like he hurt his elbow and he didn't pitch this spring. I mean, he's not going to be a pitcher. And he started throwing better toward the end of the spring. But those guys are all high upside guys. And okay. I'll even throw an Aiden Smith, their fourth rounder, they gave $1.2 million to. You know, it's funny because I... You know, Texas is one of my draft states. We split the country in half at, at MLB.com. And I, I, I honestly, I was like, I don't understand why guys don't like this guy a little bit more. Like, he's got some athleticism to him. He's got the potential. If it all pans out, it's average to solid tools or better across the board. And he just makes a ton of contact, which is, you know, <laughs> in demand. Everybody's looking for guys with bat-to-ball skills. So, I mean, I know they paid him over slot in the fourth round, but I, I thought he was a lot better than a fourth-round pick. So, I, I, I like all – I thought they did a good job in the draft. Before you go, Jim Callis, MLB.com. Jim Callis, MLB Pipeline. What would you do with Shohei if you're the Angels? In part B of that question, and I hate to put you on the spot, but test your memory out a little bit. What's the biggest, best haul of prospects that's ever been recouped at a <laughs> trading deadline for just a pure rental player, a guy who's just going to be there for the last Oof. two months? Do you know that? Because he would have to, if they moved him, They'd be moving one of the great pitchers and hitters for a couple of months. You would imagine the Angels would get the best package of prospects that any team has ever gotten at the trading deadline for a rental player. Yes? Yeah, I mean, for a rental player, yes. I, I was initially going to say the Juan Soto trade, but he wasn't a, a rental, rental player. I mean, right. here's the thing, though. The market has changed so significantly, though, even in the last five years, that having six years, six-plus years of control over young players is valuable as salaries go up and up and up. I, now, personally, if I were the Angels, and it, it's easy for me to say, I would trade him because if you don't trade him, you're going to get a draft pick and I forget where they are in relationship to the to the luxury tax, mm -hmm. but like at best, it's like a supplemental second round pick if he leaves, and that's not worth it. I mean, what they should have done honestly was trade him at the last deadline. But I know I, I think what they're doing, and I can I will defend this to some extent. I think they're hoping. I mean, they have a lot of ground to make up too. I think they're hoping that they somehow get hot and make the playoffs and convince him to stay. I think they feel like if they trade him, they have zero chance of having him you know, of getting him back as a free agent. Mm -hmm. If they hold on to him and they win or they come close, maybe you have a better shot to keep him. So I, I get that. I get that it's hard to trade a guy like that. I mean, he's literally the most talented player in baseball history. I actually think, 
I, I know we all marvel what he does. I don't think people realize how difficult it is to do what he does. The amount of work that goes in just to be a pitcher that you put in on the days where you're not on the mound, and then he's hitting in addition to that. It's like crazy. Like, and he's doing both at like as high a level as just about anybody in Major League Baseball. So yeah, I would trade him. The Athletic did a really nice piece, Mitch, trying to figure out what you might get for him, and they kind of compared it to when the Dodgers traded for Max Scherzer and Trey Turner, kind of like a star on both sides of the ball. But even the Dodgers got an extra year of yes. control yes. for Trey Turner. Yes. And in that trade, they gave up two top 100 prospects and two okay prospects. So I, I don't think – they're not going to trade Otani. But if they did, I don't think you're going to – all these stories you see where it's like, oh, they're going to get eight players for him, like five top 100 prospects or something. Maybe if they had traded him last year, but like they wouldn't get that at the deadline. I think that's another reason they, they pulled out is even though they'll get more than what would be a second-round pick would be worth – I think the public relations hit they would take, I don't think Arnie Moreno wants to take that either. Would they get somebody's number one prospect? Like, a, uh, forget eight guys. Would they get somebody's number one, like a guy who's in the top 15 or 20 on your list? Depends on the team. I mean, it really depends on the team. And like, if I'm the Dodgers, and they, well, they don't have a guy like that now because they've graduated some guys. Like, if I was a team that thought like, hey, if we get him, we can resign him. Okay, yeah. But if I'm, you know, some small market team, like right. if I'm like, the Pirates, I'm not going to trade Paul Skeens for him okay. um, or, or something yeah. like that. Or if I'm the Nationals, I'm not going to trade James Wood for him. I'm not going to make a trade like that. Like, you'd have to find a playoff team that was really committed. I mean, like if I'm the Cubs, you know, okay, maybe I trade Pete Crow Armstrong, but like I don't think they're going to do – one for one like that. Again, I think if you got two top 100 prospects for him, you'd be doing pretty well. But I, I don't think they're going to trade him, so I think it's all a moot point anyway. Nobody does it better than Jim Callis. He really he really follows his stuff better than anybody. Follow him on Twitter, Jim Callis, at Jim Callis MLB or X, whatever they call it, at Jim <laughs> Callis MLB. You can also read him on MLB.com and MLB Pipeline. Jim, you've always been kind to me. Thank you for doing it. Great to hear your voice. Enjoy the deadline, and we'll talk to you down the road. Yeah, sounds great, Mitch. Thank you. Hey, look who it is. It's Lindsay Schwartz of Daniel's Broiler. Lindsay, are the restaurants still thriving with you on the golf course three or four days a week? Hey, Mitch, good good to talk to you. Yeah, I wish I was on three or four days a week. Come but, on uh, now. But I, yeah, I can't complain. Come I, on, on now. You're telling I'm, me you're not on the golf course three or four days a week? I'm on maybe like one or two days a no, week. No, you're but, not. <laughs> Sometimes three or four. All right. I always focus our attention on some obvious qualities of Daniel's like the steaks and seafood, the incredible ambiance and service. But here's something we never talk about or don't talk about enough desserts. Now, can we talk about desserts and make people in our audience want to go to Daniel's just for the desserts? I think so. I mean, we, you're right. We haven't talked about it much. I'll tell you what, I'm a big dessert guy, so I would love to talk about okay. desserts. I'm not a big dessert guy. I'm not a big drinker, but I want to hear you talk about the desserts at Daniel's. Tell me, please. I'm a dessert guy and a drinker, but, but <laughs> let's, let's talk about, let's just talk about desserts. I'll tell you what, you know, we've been around a long time since 1980. We've got a handful of desserts that have been around since day one that are just old school, old time favorites. 
and they're so good that we we never change them. The, we've got a New York style cheesecake, which I think you have to have if you're a steakhouse. We have a creme brulee, which is awesome. Again, you have to have it. The other one that we've had forever is the coconut fudge sundae. I may have talked about it a little bit, but it is so good. I mean, it, and we do it differently. It's a, it's almost like an upside down sundae. So we line the bowl with fudge and refrigerate that. So you got this thick layer of fudge on the bottom. And then we put the delicious uh, coconut ice cream on top of that. And I mean, people have loved that for over 40 years. It's awesome. Do you have an ambulance sitting outside to take me directly to the <laughs> hospital after I have that dessert? <laughs> we should. I don't know. We, we know where all the closest uh, hospitals are to each uh, restaurant. So, so you don't have to worry about that. But but then, you know, we also have some, some of the newer ones. We've got a chocolate decadence cake that is relatively new. It is what it is. It's a decadent chocolate cake served with vanilla ice cream. A newer one is a peach Melba butter cake. So butter cake is something that we've seen at other steakhouses around the country. And then I got to mention also just, uh, it sounds simple, but just the ice cream. We, we use Olympic Mountain ice cream, which is a company, family-owned company that's been around as long as we have. And uh, you really just see their stuff in restaurants. You don't see it anywhere else. Mm-hmm. And they come up with these amazing, unique flavors. They kind of pick the flavor and, and we serve it. But like, for example, there's a brown butter almond toffee, which is killer, strawberry rhubarb pie, white chocolate espresso flake with caramel swirl. Jeez. I could keep going. It's, wow. uh, it, it's, it's been a staple for us and, and a great partnership for us. And we just love it. My God, I ask you about your steaks, your seafood, your ambiance, and you give me eight seconds. I didn't know I need to be asking you about dessert all these years. I told you, I've known you 20 years. You know, you, you can't figure out the right questions. I'm a dessert guy. Let's go. Ah, Daniel's Broiler, world-class steakhouses. Seventh pick of the 2023 MLB draft, the Seattle Mariners select Ben Williamson, a third baseman from College of William and Mary. A couple of weeks ago, not only did Seattle shine with the All-Star game and all its festivities, but the Major League Baseball draft too. The Mariners took a few high school players in the first round picks, and then in the second round, they dipped into the college ranks with third baseman from William & Mary, Big Ben Williamson. I don't know if anybody calls him Big Ben, but I'm going to. How are you, Ben? I'm doing well. How are you? Anybody call you Big Ben, or am I the first one? I've definitely heard a couple people call me Big Ben <laughs> at school and in summer ball, but I'll, t- I'll take any nickname uh, I can get. All right. How does it feel? The last couple of weeks have been crazy for you. You've been drafted. You've been signed. You got all that money now. You're going to buy me a car. You're ready to go. I understand you have your first professional hit in the Arizona League. What's it been like for you? Uh, it's, it's been a dream come true. I mean, it's everything I've worked to up to this point. Um, the last 15 years, I've played the game. Just been really, like I said, a dream come true. Yeah. I understand in uh, your first professional game in the Arizona League, you went one for three with a base hit. So you've got your first professional base hit out of the way. First question is, Tell me about, was it a line drive base hit? Was it a double? What was it? Yeah, it was a 2-0 fastball that caught a lot of the plate. Um, I was sitting heater, so I was glad that he he flipped one in there for me. But, (laughs) um, yeah, it was a line drive to left field, kind of like my bread and butter, just a line drive to the outfield. Nice. So you're one for three in your professional career, right? 333, right? Yeah. So if you quit now, if you walk away right now, and you call the Mariners and say, I'm done. 
you finish with a career 333 batting average. Not a lot of guys can say that. Are you considering hanging them up now? Um, I definitely would not consider that even for the slightest minute. All right, we like to play a game called Stump the Band, Ben, on our show. It's kind of a little tri- okay. It's a little trivia contest. I'm going to ask you a little trivia question. I want to see how good you are. Are you ready? Yeah. There's only one guy in the history of the Colonial Athletic Association the CAA in college baseball, that's been a first-team all-conference player three times in their college career. Only one guy in history has ever accomplished that. Name that player. Oof. Um. <laughs> Come on. Oh, is, is this a trick question? <laughs> There's no trick questions. No such thing as a... Come on. Take a good guess at who that player might be. Three-time All-Conference. Do you know anybody? Um, I would say myself. Big Ben Williamson is the answer to the trivia question. Three-time All-Conference. You're the only guy in the history of that baseball conference to do it. So my natural question is, Ben... Why not four times? Where were you your freshman year? I, 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 don't, I don't approve of this. I want four-time all-conference first team, not three. What happened? <laughs> I mean, a little thing called COVID happened, so oh. it got cut short. But <laughs> I was also a little, a little guy as a freshman. I've, I've grown up a little bit since freshman year. Oh, I see. You weren't Big Ben Williamson your freshman year. You're only Big Ben Williamson now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was, I was a little Ben Williamson for sure. All right, I want to know, tell us about your game. Third baseman Ben Williamson, William & Mary. All-conference, three straight years. 390 as a senior, 513 on-base percentage. You had 12 homers in 50, about 50 games. You were actually the defensive player of the year in your conference as a junior. So you can play third base with the best of them. Give us a little scouting report. Most of us, all of us that are listening to this right now have no idea what to expect from Ben Williamson. What should we expect? Um, I guess starting defensively, like I'm the type of guy that take a ground ball off the chest for the team. I put my body on the line on defense. I have a couple scars to prove it. I took <laughs> a nasty hop off the chin my junior year Nice um, at the College of Charleston down in a weekend series there. Had to get it stitched up by the trainer. That wasn't that wasn't very fun, but yeah, I definitely say on defense that I'm gritty in, in the box. Like I compete. I guess that would be the scouting report. I, I, I'm a competitor. Right-handed hitter, right-handed thrower. Tell us about the way you swing the bat. Are you an opposite field guy? Are you a pull hitter? You use the all field? Are you a gap guy? Do you have big power? Do you have light tower power? What do you got? What are we talking about, Big Ben? Um, I'm definitely more gap to gap. I try to be on time for a heater away, drive that thing over the right center field wall. And then any off speed pitch, I try to pull to left center. So definitely a big gap to gap user. Are you at all knowledgeable about William and Mary guys that played in the big leagues? Who's the best guy? Who's the most accomplished big leaguer that ever came out of William and Mary? I'm looking at the list. Would it be pitcher Chris Ray, who actually was here for the Mariners for a year, or Curtis Pride, who I think was an outfielder, pretty good ball player? Who was the best William & Mary player? Do you even know? Uh, maybe Will Rhymes. I know he's, oh, he's yeah. the, the, uh, the director of player development with the Dodgers now. I'm trying to think. Brennan Harris. Okay. These, are, these are a lot more recent guys mm-hmm. that, that I know about. 
Um, I'm not sure like all time though. So when you were little, little Ben Williamson growing up in Northern Virginia, I understand the Fairfax area, like Chantilly, Virginia, outside our nation's capital. Were you a big Nats fan, like a Washington Nationals fan growing up, or did you have a a different favorite team? Since you're a third baseman, were you a Ryan Zimmerman guy? Yeah, big-time Ryan Zimmerman guy. Yeah, I grew up watching the Nats. I was a big Alfonso Soriano guy, and (laughs) like you said, I was a huge Ryan Zimmerman fan. I feel like he played the game the right way. He was also one of the guys I enjoyed watching because he would consistently just drive the ball out of the park into the right field porch at the new Nats park. Did you go out and see them play? Did you get a chance to go see them play in person? And when you were there as a young guy, did you close your eyes and kind of visualize like we all did when we were kids dreaming of playing major league baseball? Yeah, for sure. There's definitely a little bit of daydreaming going on at those games, just watching those guys play. Explain this to me. You joined the Cape Cod league a month into your baseball senior season at William and Mary. Is that common? Why'd you do that? Give us kind of the story behind that. Yeah. So my coach at the beginning of the year was trying to figure out who we should send up to the Cape. I think he had two contracts and already gave one of them to one of our pitchers who was a freshman, all American his freshman year. He's a, he's a dog. Um, mm-hmm. I'm sure you've been hearing his name for a long time, Carter Lovez. But yeah, he gave one contract to him and then he had held on to one and I started off the year really strong. So there's a little bit of interest from the Harbor Hawks up there and he gave the contract to me and he kind of asked me, he was like, I don't know what you think about this. Like if you want to go up there, like it might hurt your draft stock if you don't go up there and perform. And I was like, just give me the contract. Like I want to go prove myself against the best and basically accept the contract and then from there just finished out the rest of the season and was really excited to get started up in the Cape. And that's where all the great players play, right? The Cape? Yeah. Yeah. Did you have any sense of what kind of draft pick you were going to be if you were going to be drafted at all before you went up to the Cape and how did that play out? Cause you obviously I've seen the numbers. Do you have any sense of how you were able to improve your visibility in the draft and where you might go? Yeah. Um, like coming from a mid-major like William and Mary, you obviously don't have the exposure that the power five guys have. So I definitely think that going up there and getting on a bigger stage, like the Cape Cod league was really important um, to not only to helping my signability and also the draft stock and, and all. So I think it was a good decision. Really wouldn't have wanted it to go any other way. Right. And if I had talked to you the morning of the draft before it started and I had asked you, A, how nervous are you on a scale from 1 to 10 and where do you think you're going to be drafted round-wise, what would have been your answers to those two questions? Um, I definitely think that I was leaning more towards like a day two guy, like early day two, um, especially after um, the Cape. But I I don't really know. Like I don't think that I was that nervous that the day of like I was kind of just happy that I did everything I could to put myself in the best position possible. Um, That was my goal basically throughout the season and Mm -hmm. going up to the Cape was no matter what happens in the end. Like I just wanted to go out there and basically give myself the best shot possible. And I think I did that. So I think that helped quell some of the nerves that I might've had. So how do you find out that the Mariners are drafting you at 57? Do they call you right before it's announced or how does it work? 
Yeah. So I got a call from my agent and basically he was like, what are you doing? And I was like, I'm about to, I'm getting ready for bed. Like it was, I think it was what, like 1130 Eastern time. So I was getting pretty tired and he was like, well, you're going to want to get out of bed and turn the TV on because your name's about to get called. Wow. So I walked downstairs, woke up my parents because they had worked the next day. Uh, and then turn the TV on just in time for my name to get picked. Oh, my God. So you weren't watching the television up until that point? You weren't watching the draft? <laughs> no. You weren't watch- You didn't watch any of the draft up until that point? No, I, I watched the first oh, round. But okay. then, uh, like I said, it was Eastern time, so it started getting late. My parents had work, so the house was, go- was going to bed. And you hear, A, you're going to be drafted in the second round, which is a little bit of a surprise, and B, it's going to be the Seattle Mariners What's the first thing, and don't say Ken Griffey Jr., what's the first thing to come to your mind when you hear your agent say you're getting drafted by the Seattle Mariners? I mean, I'm just overwhelmed with joy. Like, it's a dream. Like I said before, it's a dream come true to be able to chase my dream and be able to play professional baseball. So as soon as he said it, like, there's obviously, like, a feeling of relief, but I was just so overjoyed in the moment, and I was just super fired up to, to hear my name called and be a part of an organization. At that point, do you know anything about the Seattle Mariners? I mean, if I had asked you to name a couple of guys in their starting rotation, if I'd asked you to tell me about their their star young center fielder that was in the home run derby a year ago in Los Angeles, I mean, how much do you know? How much does a kid from Northern Virginia watching the Nationals play, how much does he know about the Seattle Mariners, if anything? Um, I definitely have learned a lot in the last couple of weeks about the, the Mariners, a lot more than I knew, but... Yeah, I definitely knew who Julio was. I knew Luis Castillo, Ty France, Eugenio Suarez. Um, I definitely knew a lot of the, a lot of the big names on the team. Cal Riley. Um, yeah, but I basically knew like the starting nine, a little bit of the rotation, George Kirby. But the last two weeks, I definitely definitely learned a lot more about the organization as a whole. Yeah, and how about the process to sign, Ben? Is that complicated? I, I'm assuming it's more complicated for the for the high school guys because they've got to make a decision between going to college and and signing a professional contract and and withdrawing from their college commitment for you guys who are you know graduating college players really that's what you're going to do you're going to sign a contract how does that work yeah uh, my agent handled a lot of the negotiations so basically he handled the negotiation side of it like talked to the team like how i'd received different stuff um and then sent the contract my way and then i looked it over like had my parents look it over and then once i got to arizona they put me through a physical and then i think like two days later i signed the contract beautiful you get a check (laughs) not yet not yet when you get a check is there a first purchase i know you know you're a second rounder and it's not it's not Julio money, but it's still pretty good money. You're going to get a check. Are you thinking about what that first purchase is going to be? A car? Something? <laughs> uh, no, I, th- I think for now I'm just going to put it into a savings account nice. or give it to my financial guy to invest for me. Oh, um, I think that would be the smartest move. Set me up long term. All right. Very good. I like everything about you, Ben. I really do. You sound like a great guy. I'm going to pull for you. I can't wait to see what you do. Not only in the minor leagues, but when you hopefully get up here to, to Seattle. I only have one gripe. I do have a gripe. I was watching an interview with you on Twitter. You were sitting at home, and somebody was interviewing you, and she was asking you random questions. And she asked you about your hierarchy of dugout snacks. 
<laughs> and you said something about fruit snacks are top of the line and everything is a distant second. Something like that. You said, like, there's nothing better than... Fr- are we talking about, like, the Welch's fruit snacks or are we talking about, like, real fruit in the in the dugout? Which one are we talking about? No, we're definitely t- talking about the Welch's. The Welch's okay. are definitely the go-to one. They give you a little bit of energy, a little bit of sugars before the game, so you, you feel like you're not falling asleep during the game. Okay, Ben... Ben, we got a pro- I got a problem with this because I have I have a I have a son who's going to be a high school senior. He plays baseball all year round. Plays baseball would just dream about being the next Big Ben Williamson, and all he's been eating lately in like the last six or eight months are these Welch's fruit snacks, and I'm like. You understand that that's not a real fruit snack. That's like junk. It's completely junk. He said, "Dad." Here, have one. I'm like, no, I'm not going to have one. All the guy does is eat Welch's fruit snacks, and now I'm interviewing a guy who I'm going to be rooting for for the next five years, and you're telling me that's what you eat in the dugout? The same? Well, what's going on with these <laughs> Welch's fruit snacks, Ben? No, they're, they're just a good source of energy. They're quick sugars. Oh, God. Ben, I hope he's not listening. to. I, I hope my youngest son is not listening to this podcast. Let's Let's just say that. <laughs> You've blown you've blown me out of the water. Anyway, congratulations. I'm really, really happy for you. All you guys that got drafted. We're big Seattle Mariners fans. Obviously, everybody in our audience loving the Mariners. We will be as patient as we can and wait for Big Ben Williamson to make his way through the minor leagues at third base and someday put on that Seattle Mariners cap and run out at T-Mobile Park. Thanks so very much. Congratulations and all the very best to you, Ben. Yeah, I really appreciate you having me on. I'm super fired up to be a Mariner. Hey, let's check in with the president of Zeke's Pizza, Mr. Dan Black. Hiya, Dan. How's everything going over there? Doing good, Mitch. How are the eastern spots, the two spots that are furthest away from headquarters, Spokane and Boise, doing? Yeah, you know, it's been interesting. We didn't quite know how difficult that was going to be and how much the brand would be known and stuff. And it's been great. The new location on the outskirts of Boise and Eagle is just going crazy. And we were happy that, you know, there's a lot of people that knew about Zeke's down there and you know, there's a lot of people that don't still, and, and we're working on that, but the location's been busy. It's got a great patio. So as summer kicks in there, it's getting even more amped up. Same thing in Spokane. They have a great patio. It got really popular for Gonzaga basketball games mm-hmm. in particular and your favorite basketball <laughs> coach on earth. Um, but you yeah, know, so no, we're, we've been, we've been really happy with the two locations that are, you know, really outside of our core. So, so far so good. I need a summertime beer selection. I understand you've got two new collaborations in your vast library at Zeke's. Yeah, no, we've got two awesome ones this summer and, you know, we've talked about, you know, what we call collabs a lot, which is just a fancy term for saying that we have relationships with most of the great breweries in the Northwest and they often brew beers that are exclusive to us. And we call those collabs. And so when we say collab, it just means that it's a beer that really you can only get at Zeke's and a brewery. One's already going. It's called the Reach Pilsner, and it's got a good backstory. I think I've mentioned that Tom and Doug founded Zeke's because they didn't like working for Arthur Anderson and writing code. And of course, they knew that the internet and computers would never be big anyway, so they started <laughs> started a pizza company. But you know, part of the reason they started their own business so they could windsurf at the gorge. And the Reach actually refers to a stretch of the Columbia where they windsurf. And our partner on that is a brewery called. 
ferment. The head brewer down there is really great at Pilsners and we like Pilsners because they're easy drinking. They're low alcohol. Even you could handle a couple of those. And so, uh, so the Reach Pilsners going right now, it's an easy drinking summer beer. And then we're doing a re-rack of the one we did with Fremont Brewing last summer. So in July, we'll have another version of the Z-Side IPA, which will definitely be too aggressive for you, Mitch. So stay away from that one. <laughs> so yeah, we got the Pilsner going right now, the Reach Pilsner, and then we got Z-Side coming up in July and they're both really good. It's quite a selection of beer at Zeke's Pizza. You know Zeke's Pizza for, for their great Northwest style crust and pizza, but boy, what a beer selection that continues to grow and grow. We love Zeke's Pizza, an incredible partner of Mitch Unfiltered, homegrown in the Northwest. Unfiltered. Episode 248, Mitch Unfiltered, Rochester Hills, Michigan. Hello. <laughs> All right. Everyone can finally sleep. The restless nights are over. Yeah. Piper found a new club softball team, so I know you guys oh. were losing sleep over it. It's over. The national nightmare is over. She She's was invited landed. to play on the Blue Thunder softball team what's the blue thunder isn't the blue thunder the guys that play all the instruments oh, the, the, the the drum line yeah, yeah 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 they must have their own softball team because i got a invitation i was supposed to send to you or oh really yeah wait the blue th the blue thunder 14 u softball all-stars hey, you didn't send it no what, i didn't send what it. if they're the best team around and i, I just screwed her out of I a great position i didn't even know if it was a joke or not it seemed jokish to me but i don't know maybe well there's uh, seven thousand different teams so right. yeah it's probably not a joke it probably right. really is a team is there the any Blue update Thunder. on the reunion the uh, the junior reunion one word stalled <laughs> oh there's been yeah uh, forget stalled i uh, i think you're gonna find jimmy hoffa before this team comes together so yeah all right how many of these other stuff things do you want me to do right off i mean i got a lot of them i don't know if you got a lot i got a lot of them a lot of sports ones yep yep a couple of non-sports ones Shohei, as we record this, apparently not available. But did you see what he did on Thursday in a doubleheader against the Detroit Tigers? Do tell. So the GM says on Thursday, we're not trading Shohei. The team goes out and plays a doubleheader in Detroit. In game one, he throws a complete game one hitter. And in game two, he hits two home <laughs> runs. his 37th and 38th to lead them to an 11-4 series oh sweep. Yeah. He is the greatest of all time. I think so. I think we're watching the greatest baseball, which is weird maybe, to say. Maybe. With the Babe Ruth of the war, you know, they, the history of it. That's incredible. Mm. Wow. Uh, everyone's thoughts are with Bronny James. Oh, my gosh. We had another DeMar Hamlin on our hands. But without without the impact. I mean, DeMar got rocked. Yeah. He got a, took a helmet to the chest. Yes, I mean, he did. Yes, he did. That's so Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, but I like the, the video of him playing the piano. Have you seen yeah, the I video? Yeah, I saw that. Yeah. It was pretty good. That LeBron posted. Not yeah. Bad. It just shows that he's doing better. He's yeah. at home. I don't think that they figured out yet what went wrong, but oh, my God, a near catastrophe. Would that have been the most horrible Forget thing? I mean, oh, my like God. Awful. Yeah. So we're all happy about that. And two days later, DeMar Hamlin comes out for training camp out oh, of the tunnel. It brings a tear to the eye. Oh, my God. I Seven know. months after essentially dying on the field, he runs out of the tunnel at training camp, and he's a full contact participant in the Buffalo Bills training camp. Unbelievable. Considering the way we felt that night. Oh. What, what we were watching chest compressions, which is always the last resort for somebody who's probably not going to make it. Right. To that. To that. It's unbelievable. Is there part of you that kind of wishes he wouldn't play football? A little bit. Me too. 
I wish somebody like Bezos would just say, here's 50 Bezos. million. Here, you know, <laughs> poor Bezos. Like, what? <laughs> I like spending other people's money. What? Here, here's 50 million, kid. Go have a nice life. You don't, you don't need to Bezos. do this. Bezos. Well, because he can drop fifty million like it's nothing. Well, there's like, a few guys that can yeah. do that, but I mean, God Almighty! Well, the richest man in the world—that's well. How about just the Bills owner? The Bills are worth five billion dollars. I just wish he could. He could, just... he could write a check, yeah. or the NFL could write a right. check, NFL's or their insurance choice, company yeah. could write a check and say, "Hey, guy, here, here's twenty-five million. Yeah, put it in the bank, earn eight percent every year, yeah. and go have a great life." That's right. Go coach or he do could, something, and... but he doesn't want to do that. God forbid something happens. Doctors to him. have said to him. You're safe. Okay. Good. I don't That's know. great to hear. Your prediction that Deion Sanders and his Colorado Buffaloes are going to be a big problem. At some point, yes. For everybody in the Pac-12. Yeah. Is now incorrect. Really? Yeah, they're going to the Big 12. <laughs> they're Good. leaving the conference. <laughs> this is the last year. Good. Go be a problem somewhere else. We don't need you. Although, are the Huskies going to even be in the Pac-12? Is, mean, there, is there going to be a Pac-12? Yeah. And are we going to be able to watch them on TV? Who knows? What a mess. How about the fact that Colorado has said to the Pac-12, what does the Pac-12 become when Colorado says, <laughs> nah, we're going over here. Yeah. We're going over here to play with uh, Texas Tech. We're going to take all our Rose Bowls and we're going to hit the bricks. We're going to Texas Tech. We'd rather play God. Oklahoma State. Yeah, that's weird. Yeah, Kansas State. A weird Eno- time. Enough of you guys with Oregon and Washington. We're going over here. Yeah. Yeah. Keep your you. Yeah. So know. it looks like that they're going to start in the 24th. This will be the last year okay. of Colorado in the Pac-12. Let's see. Oh, contracts, contracts, and more contracts. Very interesting news in the world of sports. All right. Let's play a little stump the band. Can you name me two current members Mm-mm. of the Boston Celtics? Oh, man. <laughs> You're asking me? Yes, I'm asking. Rajon no, Rondo. No, I'm asking Misty. <laughs> Rajon Rondo's still there? Paul Pierce? That's about what I tapped out, I think. Can you name me any players in the NBA? That's, no, that's no. a better question. In the Boston, for the Boston side. Isaiah Thomas probably isn't there anymore. No, no. I cannot. So their best player, perennial all-star, is a guy named Jason Tatum. Yes, Yeah, Duke. yeah, I know the name. Yeah, yeah. Their second best player mm-hmm. is a guy by the name of Jalen Brown. Yeah. Yeah, kind of, yeah. sort of. Well, let me tell you about the yeah, kind of, sort of guy that you just talked about. Okay. He went to Cal. I don't know. He played one year at Cal. He's from Atlanta, Georgia. Okay. He did have a good year last year. He averaged 26 points, seven rebounds, three and a half assists a game. Jalen Brown, the second best player on the Boston Celtics, a two-time All-Star, mm-hmm. is now the richest player in the history of the NBA. <laughs> really? <laughs> In the history of the NBA. Five years, $304 million. He's the second best player oh, on the Celtics. You put that together with his $28.5 million that he's going to make this year because the five-year extension starts next year. You can do the math. Six years, $332 million, and every dollar is guaranteed. He can go out and be me on the court. Yeah. He could average 1.4 points per game. He could collapse into the into the last man on the bench, and he is going to earn every penny of $332 million over the next six years of uh, his NBA playing career. I'm, so that's contract number one. I'm just glad Bill Russell's not around to see this nonsense. I mean, 11 <laughs> rings and just one of the most dominating players ever for the Celtics. He didn't even sniff that kind of money. That's crazy. The okay. NBA money's out of control. Stump the band. Who is who's the big running back for the New York Giants? Considered one of the more. Yeah, he got hurt last year. Maybe. Take or... Barkley. Take one. Yeah, yeah, that one. Yeah, yeah, Barkley. <laughs> yes. Everybody is making fun of the contract he signed this week. Okay. So while Jalen Brown 
the second best player on the Boston Celtics signed a six-year, 300 or five-year, 300 and something million dollar contract. Saquon Barkley, one year, 11 million. Guys getting the shit kicked right, out of him. Right, and you're signing a one-year and deal. And Jalen Brown, the second best God. player on the ball. What's wrong with this picture? Running backs don't make any money. So everybody's making fun of him. I'm going to tell you why. Because he refused to play for the one-year tender, the franchise tag. Uh-huh. They franchise tagged him, and he was like, I'm not playing for the franchise tag. Yeah. I'm just not playing for the franchise tag. <laughs> yeah. I know running backs don't make any money. I'm not playing for the franchise one-year tag, which would have paid him one year, $10.09 million. Okay. So instead, <laughs> he, sound, he signed a one-year, $10.09 oh million dollar contract with three incentives worth 303000 each. If he runs for 1,350 yards, he gets 303000 Okay. He's never rushed for 1,350 yards. <laughs> Who's his agent? Russell Okung? <laughs> if he records 11 touchdowns, he gets 303000 He's done that once in his career. Okay. If he records 65 receptions... He gets $303,000. He's done that once in his career. Oh, by the way, the Giants have to make the playoffs. Oh, oh really? There's some pretty good teams in that division. At least yeah. they think there's some pretty good teams in that division. Anyway, that's the contract. Wow. He's not playing for the one-year franchise tender. Okay, but I'll do that. <laughs> I refuse. And by the way, here's the kicker. <laughs> yeah. Here's the kicker of this contract. It's such a bad contract that it doesn't even do away with his franchise tag year. They can turn around next year oh. and franchise him again. And it's the first-year franchise. There's a lot of running backs in the NFL that are pissed off right now right. that he would be willing. I mean, he's the standard, and he's willing to sign that Fakakta contract. It's unbelievable. Look where the bar is. It's unbelievable. Not very high for running backs. The quarterback market is a little different. Okay. Justin Herbert, five years. Saw that, yeah. 262 smackers. Million smackers. Is that the highest? A no-trade clause, $134 million in full guarantees, $194 million in guarantees for injury. Herbert's deal makes him the highest-paid quarterback in NFL history wow. based on the average annual value at $52.5 million. He eclipses Jalen Hurts, $255. He eclipses Baltimore Ravens' Lamar Jackson, $260 million. He got $262 million, the quarterback out of the University of Oregon. And Joey Burrow is next, and mm. he's not as mad as the running backs are at Saquon Barkley. <laughs> no, he is not. <laughs> he's actually, I saw him at the Lamborghini dealership a little bit ago. He's already picking one out. He's ready. <laughs> he's got one for all his friends lined up. He's ready to he go. He likes that deal yeah. that Herbert uh, Yeah. And then one more contract, and then you can go. I don't know how to say the soccer player's name, but I guess he's one of the best, if not the best in the world right now. Who's the best soccer player in the world right now? Is this la- the French guy in... M- yes. Mbappe? Or? Yeah. Is that how you say it? I Mbappe. Think so. I'm guessing. Have you seen what right. happened? He plays for a, a, a team called Paris Saint-Germain. Okay. The Saudi Arabian team that we've talked about before yeah. has offered Paris Saint-Germain oh I want to know. $332 million to the team if they allow him to sign with them. So... PSG, as they like to call it, the uh-huh. team, they get $332 million if the player, if they got a grant permission to let him talk to him, yeah. and then if he signs with the Saudi Arabian team, they get a $332 million fee. And they're like, okay, yeah, you can talk to him. <laughs> yeah, sure. He's good, but you can talk to him. <laughs> All day, yeah. But the question becomes, if they're willing to pay $332 million <laughs> for the opportunity to talk to him. It's like a headhunter fee. What is the contract they have to pay him to agree to leave? Do we know the answer? Yes. Oh, God. 
a one year. Yeah. Seven hundred and seventy six million dollars on. Wow. We're going to drop a billion dollars. Saquon Barkley. Yeah, right. He's playing for one year. <laughs> He's playing for one year, 10 million. This guy is going to be offered $776 million to play one, one soccer season. A billion dollars they're going to spend for one player to play one season. One season. 332 That's- to the team, 776. By the way, he's uninterested. Really? He's not going to, well, for a lot of reasons, he doesn't yeah. want to play for the Saudi Arabian team. Thank you, but no thank you. Wouldn't you like to be in a position to be able to turn down a one-year $776 million contract? Oh, my God. I don't know what it would take for me to say no to that. I, it'd be so difficult. And I'm telling you, if Killian, if that's his first name, Mbappe, if that's the way you say his last name, if he literally walked into this room right now yeah. and punched me in the nose, <laughs> I would have no idea who he was. Right, I know. Could you pick him out of a lineup? Of course not. Well, Messi. I was going to say, I saw Pele, Messi. definitely. <laughs> Messi was grocery shopping in Florida, and people were like leaving him alone. Messi. He couldn't do that anywhere else in the Is world. Is he the guy that just signed with the Miami team? Yes, yeah, matter okay. of fact. Yeah. Okay, okay. He scored two goals for his new I team think on I, Tuesday I night. I think I would recognize Messi. I don't think I, you would. No. I know I would recognize Pele. Okay, well, I know, peace, right? I, yeah, I know I would recognize Beckham. I absolutely would recognize Beckham. I know exactly what he looks like. I can picture him right now. But this guy, M-B-A-P-P-E with an accent, yeah. good? Yeah. <laughs> I have no idea. I mean, like, if you were in QFC and you saw, and, and Lionel Messi walked by, you wouldn't look twice I at him. I think I would. Really? No, I don't. He's like 5'8". definitely. He's indescript. I mean, he's like nothing. He's not like some some giant. I mean, I don't think you'd, you would recognize no. Beckham. Like, of course, you know what Beckham looks like, but does that mean you would? Oh, no, 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 no. I would recognize Beckham. If he walked by you in a grocery Absolutely. store. Absolutely. Okay. Handsome guy. Posh yeah. Spice might be with him. I'm all I'm all in on Beckham. I yeah. know exactly Beckham. By the way, both those two were at uh, Messi's game over the way he scored the two goals. That People are going crazy in South Florida for Messi. They're loving him. $776 million to play one year. And Saquon Barkley's <laughs> making $10 million. And he turned it down. He's going to say no. Unbelievable. All right. Did you watch the Terrence Crawford Errol Spence fight? No. The big welterweight fight. No. Thirty nine and zero versus twenty eight and zero. Probably well in a few years anyway. They're both undefeated. One's thirty five. One's thirty three. It was an incredible fight. Crawford completely kicked his ass. But so you obviously didn't see who his hype man was coming out. Which one, Crawford's hype man? Yeah, Crawford's no, hype man. No. It was pretty damn awesome. Do I know him? Yeah, you know him. Marshall Mathers, also known as Eminem. Oh. He had Eminem walking out with him singing, or he didn't, Eminem didn't do his own song. He was just yelling to the crowd to get going, but Lose Yourself was playing, you know? Yeah. You know that song? No. no. Of course you do. If I heard it, I, I know it, I'm sure. Yeah. Anyway, it was pretty damn cool seeing Eminem. By the way, how is that song 20 years old? I was looking it up today. I was like, oh my God, that song's 21 years what old. What does but- Eminem feel in his heart of heart, in the cockles of his heart, about Taylor Swift's era's tour? Do you think Eminem thinks she's talented? Yes. I think he does. Okay. Does she think he's talented? Oh, no question. He <laughs> That's the question. Well, he's like revered by everybody. No, he is. He? Yeah, he's one yeah. of the greats of all yeah. time. Yeah. Is he truly? Sure. No, for sure. Wow. Yeah, he's one of the great. Why doesn't he tour for a billion dollars? He toured a couple years ago with Snoop and Ice Cube. And remember, they did the whole halftime show. Is he bigger show. than Macklemore? 
Bogey golf. I would say he's better than McLemore. These. Oh, I didn't say better. I said, is he bigger? Oh, bigger. Yo, yeah. Yeah. He's he's like Hall of Fame type big Eminem. Is McLemore not a Hall of Famer? I don't think he's, he's not he's a, a first Hall of Famer. No. He's from Seattle. By the way, speaking of rappers, Alabama. one of Tupac's rings was up for auction. Oh, I saw that with the crown. Yeah. It's kind of it's gaudy. Who but bought it? Somebody Drake. Your buddy Drake bought it yes. for $1.016 million. A million all up dollars. All on pop culture. You want to hear a weird Drake story with kind of a local connection? Sure. It's just the weirdest thing ever. And I, sure. I, I can't make sense of it. And even the guy who it's involved. Okay. So I have a friend named Leon. Leon played running back at UW circa like 95. Okay. I think he backed up Napoleon Kaufman. Okay. Okay. They went to the Sun Bowl. Leon Neal? Correct. You remember that name? No, I don't remember it. I just came up with it without a, without being prompted. Know, Leon, okay, played in the Sun Bowl in 1995, okay? The Huskies did. Yeah. He wore number 12. Um, there's a picture of Drake coming out of somewhere in New York City with Leon's number 12 Sun Bowl jersey on. Of all the jerseys that one can buy or somehow possess. Wow. Why the It's that, Drake that wearing a 1995 random. Husky Sun Bowl jersey. I want to know the answer. Where did he get that goddamn jersey? Two weeks <laughs> later, he was photographed. The same Drake was photographed in a bigger dance t-shirt. <laughs> he was? Okay, with, now it's With my to... autograph on it. <laughs> now it's starting to make sense finally. Isn't that the weirdest thing weird, ever? Very weird. Very weird. What? Could that be a... a it's, it's got a sun bowl patches on the shoulders. I, I've looked at every loophole and every... And what does Leon say about all he this? He wants it back. <laughs> he doesn't know what the hell happened to it. He emailed the photographer. He emailed the person that wrote the story. It's his actual jersey. It's got to be. It's got sun bowl patches on the on the shoulders. It's the weirdest it thing ever. It ended up in Drake's closet? Yeah, exactly. That's I mean, so weird. I love Leon, but he played one year. Of all the throwbacks you're going to buy, you're going to get a 1995 Why doesn't somebody jersey? write Drake and say, hey, Leon Neal wants his jersey back. I, you swiped it. Maybe he was like a on the staff as an intern of the Sun Bowl. And in, in, what year was that? 95? 19? Maybe he was like there as a kid. He was somebody's guest and somebody maybe Leon as he was leaving. Did they win? I don't remember. Maybe as they was they were walking off the field, maybe Leon took his jersey off and tossed it into the stands, <laughs> and a young Drake caught it. He's from Canada. He probably doesn't even watch football. I don't know. The whole thing is so bizarre. Isn't that weird? Of all the jerseys. Anyway, all right. Crazy. Congratulations to Hulk Hogan and Sky Daly. Speaking of the Hulkster, his yeah. lady of a year and a half who are slated yeah, to engaged. tie the knot. Yes, they are. After he got on one knee. By the way, he's still down there trying to get up, by the way, but it's his... Uh, I've fallen and I can't get up. His third marriage, he was married to Linda, he, and then that was finalized, and he married Jennifer McDaniel in 2021. Apparently, yeah. loves giving all his money away, so yeah. congratulations to these kids. So the Cubs and the White Sox played last Tuesday. The game was a bit of a snooze. Um, okay. But there was an enormous brawl in a suite, if you like that kind of oh, thing. Oh, you love that. But Chicago versus Chicago. Oh, I mean, women, men, that. it's a goddamn melee yeah, going on. You love that. Pandemonium has broken loose. Different angles. I'm watching it right now on my watch, just so you can't see. But uh, unclear if you any arrests that. were made, which is the you part love I love. that. It's Chicago, so I'm guessing no arrests were made. Uh, I told you Lionel Messi mania, full effect in South Florida. People are loving it. You know, that. I was involved in one spectator brawl. Have I ever told you that story? A spectator brawl? I, I wouldn't. Yeah, what you're talking about. But you got like in in the fight. I was like in the middle. It, it, it didn't get. It had a chance to get really, really ugly, and it was felt like it went on for five minutes. Uh, probably, if you clocked it, it went on for probably three minutes. Okay. But it was, uh, yeah, it it involved my dad, Madison Square Garden. My Did dad he start got, it. Well. <laughs> 
all I have to hear. <laughs> it's a long story. He's now when he would go to sporting events, he would sit on his hands and stay quiet typically during the game. Is that right or no? He would bitch at Bayheim the whole time. <laughs> okay. But but we had a we had a thing. Syracuse had a thing, they still do, that you stand until they score their first field goal. Okay. Typically, that's done at their home stadium where everybody does it. Uh, when you do it at Madison Square Garden, like he insisted on doing it at Madison Square Garden, yeah. and then your team doesn't score for like the first six minutes, oh, no. and you're about six, three and a half. Right. <laughs> um, oh, the people no. behind you get mad. Yeah. And uh, they got mad, and they started saying things. Uh-oh. And then he got back down. He sat down after they uh, after they scored, but there was tension. Oh, so he, he stood... He stood, he stood there the whole time. He didn't. He didn't back people down. Were, people were calling ushers. Oh no! And he was like, "I'm standing until my team makes the first <laughs> field goal. That's what we do." And so, uh, yeah, it got a little bit testy. Yeah. And then later in the game, something happened. Somebody said something to him. He said something. Somebody shoved him from behind. Really? And when somebody shoves you from behind, before you even reciprocate, before I mean, he was he was probably 70 years old at the time yeah. before he could even reciprocate before he could even, you know, push back. Everybody's shoving, everybody's shoving. People are shoving from a, a two rows. Really? Away. I mean, everybody's throwing, you know, shoving. <laughs> I got to get him down. I got a 70 year old. Yeah. All of a sudden my, my brother, Holy my shit. brother who was like two sections away, sitting in a solo seat comes running in. He dives in. <laughs> right. I mean, it was <laughs> off the top rope with a chair. Like it felt like it was never going to end. And people, and I, I was just worried. I got my dad's like 72 years old. Yeah. Here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, it wasn't haymakers and it wasn't people on the but it was Wow. It was by the time it got into the middle of it, uh, it was probably 25 people involved. Wow. You know, it's Yukon crowds, right. Syracuse That's true. You're crowd. Right. You're 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 mixing all yeah, the teams together. It's not good. You don't know who to punch. Yeah, that's awful. Not a proud moment. Anything else you got? Just a quick one. I have to tell people about this UK postman. Yeah. He realized everyone's worst nightmare after a spider bit the inside of his throat while he was asleep. Ouch. Which caused it to swell up so badly he couldn't breathe. Paramedics arrived shortly thereafter and inspected the victim's throat. Whereabouts they dropped a shocking diagnosis. So he had reportedly inhaled a spider in his sleep, which then bit his uvula. The fleshy little protuberance at the back of the throat, whatever that word is. I thought that that's your tonsils. No. Okay. It's called the uvula. Anyway, right. on the on the way down his gullet. So thankfully, the bite recipient, you know, he, he didn't have Sitting any issues. Sitting here waiting. I'm waiting for the PS. Is there a PS? No, there's not. But I do I think about- I thought you were going to say he laid egg, the, the, the spider laid eggs into the wound. No, but- And then he opened his mouth and all these baby spiders started coming that, out. Is this not enough, though? A spider crawling in your no, mouth while you sleep? A, it's plenty. Do you ever have like a cup of water next to the bed just in case you wake up thirsty? I think about that because I do sometimes. I think about that. You're just, it's dark. You're just blindly taking a hit off it. God knows what could be, a spider could have fallen in there or sitting on the side of the cup. I think so. Uh, I don't do that anymore. All right. right. I stay dehydrated. You got any more? I got a bunch of RIPs. You do? Yeah. Subway's big news. Okay. Did you have that? No. Are you a Subway fan? Are you a... I used to be. Yeah? Yeah, I don't really do bread as much as I used to. Jersey Mike's. More Jimmy John's. Jimmy John's. Really good, yeah. Subway is seeking a sandwich lover to legally change their name. Uh Uh-oh. You got to legally change your name to Subway, your first name. Subway Soden. (laughs) That's not actually kind of works. Lifetime of free food and beverages. Really? Yes. Now, not everybody who changes their name gets the lifetime of free beverages. I see. Okay. You've got to enter on the website, subwaynamechange.com, between August 1st, 9 a.m. and August 4th. 
The company says, we pledge to cover the $750 legal fee that it takes to change your name yeah. to Subway Soden. Got a little ring to it. Yeah, it's not bad. And then free subs, free beverages for the rest of your life. It's got to be a catch, right? I mean, it's a little bit of a fine print. I was going to say, have they not seen me? Well, they give you $50,000 worth of gift cards instead. They call it lifetime beverages and subs, but they give you $50,000 worth of gift cards. So I did a little math. Okay. <laughs> if you do, if you do a $15 lunch, okay. And you do it 5 days a week, okay? Lunch, $75 a week. Yep. Times 52, sure. $3900 a year. Times 13, 50,700. So 12 years. <laughs> Unless you're 80, of their, course. Their idea of lifetime <laughs> yeah. is about 12 years. So, you Subway Soden. Late I 70s. Like Subway Soden. Early. That's not bad, actually. I could do it. Yeah, but the gift card thing, it would be kind of cool. $50,000 worth of gift cards. Uh, guess what Uncle Mitch got me again this year for Christmas? <laughs> Another Subway I wonder if gift it's card. one gift card and they keep re That would be dope. If you could just throw 50 grand on one gift card. Yeah, just... what if you lost it, though? Oh. Hey, I misplaced it. Honey. <laughs> Have you seen the gift card? Oh, you'd be buying lunch for everyone. Right. Not guilty of all charges, Kevin Spacey. Saw that, yes. Yes. A London jury, completely innocent of all crimes levied against him. Will the two-time Oscar winner be able to get his reputation and image back? What say you, Mr. Mr. Judge and Jury? What do you think? Well, OJ's innocent in a court of law, so how's his reputation? What do people think about him? I don't think so. I think it's, I, unfortunately... Yeah, I, I although Mel Gibson somehow managed to make a a comeback, and you know after his tantrums, and so I don't know, okay. I All don't right. know. It, it doesn't feel likely for Kevin Spacey in this week's edition of You Know You've Got Money When dot dot dot. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> did I not tell you that uh, LeBron James was knocking down a Beverly Hills home that he purchased? Did I say that last? Oh week? yeah, you did. Yeah, he purchased it for like what thirty something million dollars, yeah. and he's just knocking it straight down and starting over. Nothing you know, inside he wants. Well, let's let's do that times ten. Uh oh. There's a guy by the name of William P. Lauder. Do you know the name Lauder? L-A-U-D-E-R. familiar. Estee Lauder oh, Cosmetics. Estee Lauder, sure, yeah. Yeah, yeah. He has a couple he, bucks. Well, he bought Rush Limbaugh's Palm Beach Oceanfront home. <laughs> the fact that that guy... Rush, was... Rush Limbaugh's passed away. Yes, he is. He bought the Palm Beach home that Rush Limbaugh lived in for years, right on the ocean. Spectacular. $155 million. Jeez. Bulldozers, let's go. <laughs> Knocking Imagine. it down. Knocking the whole damn thing down. It's a $155 million wow. house on the Atlantic Ocean. It's spectacular in every sense of the word. I'm sure, yeah. Bulldozers, let's go. Get wow. rid of it. We don't want it. Oxycontin hidden in the walls. All kinds <laughs> of things in there when you bulldoze it down. $155 million. Yeah. Nary a tile in here we're going to keep. Gone. Go ahead with your RIPs. I've got one that I think you're not going to get to, but go ahead. Did you go to the Barbie movie, by the way? I did. And? Did you go to Oppenheimer? I did, yes. See, I say, I did. And you say, I did. It pisses me off because I think every biopic should be that good. You walk out of there, you're like, that's how a fucking movie's supposed to be made. But it's... So how many times did you have to pee during the movie? Isn't it like four hours? It's long. You should definitely go before, yeah. It's definitely... Uh, well, go before... Well, at the, at the very I mean, least. The catheter, for God's sake. <laughs> it's long, but the fact that they made a movie about a physicist who lived, you know, 60, 70 years ago and they made it fascinating is really a credit to Nolan. Honey, it's can great. you pour me a glass of water? No, we're going to see Oppenheimer tomorrow night. <laughs> That's right. No water, man. Yeah. Anyway, the vo the world of Barbie is mo mourning the death of Bill Cunningham, the original voice know. of the famous Ken doll in the 60s. I saw it because all I heard. Wait, who'd you go with? 
I went with my wife. My wife wanted to go. All I heard was, it's not just for women. It sends a great message. It's a really well done picture. Margot Robbie is not going to do a schlock picture. She's one of the foremost actresses. It's true. It, it, It doesn't have to be just women wearing pink. Which it pretty much was. Yeah. All women in our theater wearing pink. Oh, yeah, sure. Including me. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> my pink undies. Um, Jesus. So, I, so I went with my wife, and about 25 minutes into it, I was snor- I was sound asleep. A $12 nap. 12? <laughs> I figured you go to matinees. When's the know. last time you went to a movie? 12. Hey, it was matinee, seven fifty a- for us. Really? <clears throat> oh, yeah, it was great. I'm going to go see Oppenheimer. But... 16 bucks a, a pop. Ugh. I went to Barbie. My wife seemed to like it. I appreciate the message, empowering yeah, of yeah. women. I get it. But it was so damn slow. I mean, it was just ridiculous to me. Yeah. I mean, I was like, what am I doing in here? I could be watching the Mariners and the Diamondbacks right now right. for a lot less money than. And on top of it all, listen to this. I didn't even know we're social distancing anymore. Did you know we're social distancing? No. I went into the theater because I don't want to tell you because you'll make fun of me, but I'm one of these guys that doesn't like buying tickets online because they get you for like 16 oh different fees. Oh my gosh, you're do you the bu- worst. Do you do, do you do Fandango uh, and all that? Of course, they have to have reserve. It's a game changer. Oh my. Now I got to get there an hour early so I make sure I get a good seat. Yeah, but they charge you like six extra bucks per ticket oh. or say whatever it is. Not when you go to the matinee. So my, so, so my wife says, I'm just going to buy these tickets online. No! <laughs> I'll go early. Right. So she's like, what? I said, Five extra dollars a ticket. I'll just go and buy them. So I go Are early. Are you serious yeah, right now? I'm serious. But you live in 5,000 square feet and you're going to dick around about $6? Or is it just the principle of it? Uh, Come on. It's a game first changer. First of all, who are you to measure my house? <laughs> I don't know. And you better measure it a little bit better. <laughs> secondly, secondly, yeah. principle. Yeah, this I is understand. not about being cheap. I understand. This is not being a, about being unable to afford the fees Fine. i just think for fan for me to go online when i can go i don't have to go an hour early to barbie i can go 10 minutes before oh. i can go whenever i want to go to no, the show you yes not, you can not to oppenheimer yes packed. you can everyone but i wasn't gonna chance <laughs> of course so i went an hour early and I went into the theater, God. and now they don't even have the people anymore selling you the tickets. You got to go on the machine. I'm okay with that. You can handle just as that. long as I don't have to do the fees. Yeah. I go on it. I'm feeling really good about myself. That my $16 ticket that would have been like 21 on Fandango. Uh, what a steal. I'll just pay the 16. They give me the seat map. Yeah, I can sure. pick my seats. I picked the seats right in the middle of the theater. I got the best seats in the house. Oh, you did. Yeah. Okay. And then it says sorry. There's got to be two seats between you and the party next to you. Really. I'm like, wait, oh, are we still doing that? You the, might be the, the... The computer would not sell me tickets yeah. within two seats of the... So I go two over, and now I'm a little off center. Oh, that sucks. I call my wife See? and I say, you know, I don't think I want to go. Yeah, I'm with you, man. I'm a seat I get myself. the tickets that are a little bit off center, Yeah, right? No good. Then I go to the restaurant. I meet my wife. We have dinner. I've got the tickets. I didn't pay the Fandango fee. Yeah. All right? Fandango, if you'd like to sponsor the podcast. Please do, yes. Um, I go into the theater. You think there were two seats between me and the guy next to me at Barbie? The guy wearing pink, pink underwear? <laughs> he he actually requested it, but they said no. You think? Once he saw you, he requested it. But There are people in my lap, right. for God's sake. So now I can't buy the tickets 
on the computer because I need two seats in between because of social distancing. And yet they're selling it somewhere else on Fandango. Right. They're selling the seats next to me. Nobody has gone to the theater and used that kiosk since 2020 when the pandemic started. You're the li- you're the first guy to use that kiosk. I'll have you know that so, I was in a line of about five people. They haven't updated and there, it. And there were like four <laughs> machines, okay? I'm not the oh, only anti-Fandango person. The reserve right? seat is a game changer at movies. I'm shocked you don't do that. I've got the reserve seat. No, but you, you didn't want to. You went to the theater. Yeah, An but hour when, early. you're missing the point. I still get the reserve seat. I just don't do it online. I know, but who who wants to get there early like that? You don't have to. People don't go to the movies. Well, they went to Oppenheimer. People don't go to the movies that I go to. That's true. Thank you for clarifying that. By the way, another big fight at a, at the, at one, a Barbie movie. I, there's a video of that out there for anyone oh, wants. Really? You see a guy next to the fight sleeping? <laughs> yeah. That's me. That's right. I wonder who that was. I think I might have even snored. <laughs> Bill was 96. Now, okay. Randy Meisner. I got him. Founding member of the Eagles who added high harmonies to such favorites as Take It Easy and The Best of My Love. Take It to the Limit, I think, was probably one of his big ones, too. Okay. Yeah. 77 years old. Complications from chronic obstructive pulmonary disease. Yeah. The he Eagles was one favorite. of the OG Eagles, yeah. man. He was. I can't um, believe you did him first before the other musician that died. Well, I kind of go in order of who I think is the coolest. And the Ken guy is right at the top of the list. Um, RIP to, I don't know, Sinead O'Connor. That's right. 56 years old. My age. Oh, yeah. Nothing compares to you. Who wrote that? Uh, it was for somebody else, wasn't it? It was... Uh, I don't know if it Nothing was... Comp- Prince. There no. you go. Look at you. Prince wrote that song. Look at me. Nice work. I got that at the Barbie show. Everyone should go listen to... On the to, machine uh, where I bought the tickets right there in advance. Go to YouTube, watch Chris Cornell sing Nothing Compares to You at Live she was at Sirius XM. Right? She we, was. Did she take her own life? It sort of appears that way. Oh, I mean, it's terrible. her life was sort of marked by tragedy, including the death of her 17-year-old son, Shane, oh. who died by suicide in January of 2022. Oh. So I don't think she um, recovered. I think she had some right. pretty strong what else? So what rest else in peace to Sinead O'Connor. Got anybody else? RIPs? Inga Swenson. Don't know Inga Swenson. Famous for her work in the early 1980s ABC sitcom, Benson. Oh, yeah, Inga Swenson. <laughs> no, you don't remember. Yes, she was a tall the, the, German woman or German Swedish cook. woman. Yes. Gretchen Krauss. I know Inga Swenson. On Benson, I yeah. think we might have gone out once or twice. I think you might have. Yeah, yeah. she was uh, 90 years old, so that's about right. Appearing oh, in over God. 150 episodes over seven years. She died? Three Emmy nominations da, for her work. Da, 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 da. My first TV crush. Robert Guillaume. That's right. Missy Gold was my first TV crush. Oh, she was on the show. Oh, I liked Missy Gold. And she had a sister. Yes, who was on another sitcom. Melissa Gold or is that Missy Gold? Tracy. Tracy Gold. Tracy Gold. She was on Facts of Life? No. No. Ah, it's going to kill me. Was she on uh, the the Michael J. Fox show? Maybe it was that one. Ah, if there was only no. a way to find out in 2003. Uh, you got, but I don't want you to find out because I want you to listen to mine. But go ahead. Tracy Gold, any, I'm going to find out while you... Uh, growing Pains. Growing Pains. Yes. Okay. Yeah, uh, that, was Robert, that was Michael J. Fox. That was Kirk Cameron, Growing Pains. Oh, Growing Pains. Kirk Cameron. <laughs> and, uh, Alan Thicke. No. Yes, Alan Thicke Alan was the Thicke father. was the father, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was, I was mentioned on Alan Thicke's talk show. You and know, that's my claim to fame. Really? Yes. By a, did you know that he did a talk show? A late night talk yeah, show? Yeah, I did know Thick that. Thick of the Night. Thick it was of called Thick yeah. of the Night, yeah. A guest talked about me, a 15-year-old. Yep. Yep. Sybil Danning. I'm not going through it again. 
<laughs> I've done it once before. You're not going be, through it. B actress Sybil Danning went on the show and talked about meeting me in Germany. Oh, you did. Yeah, you told that. I'm telling you, I was on Alan Dick's show. Good for you. Yes. It's about as successful as Chevy let Chase's me, late and night. And let talk me tell you show. something. Anybody who was ever mentioned on Alan Dick's show yeah. should not have to pay an extra five dollars for getting your tickets on online before you that go. That I can the get behind, yes. By the way, a little stump the band for you. Yes. Benson was a spin-off of another TV oh, sitcom. Shit. Name that sitcom. Benson was a cool. That was a cool show. It was he was pretty great. Cool. Yeah. What was that? A what was that a spinoff from? I don't know. The show was called Soap. Oh sure, Billy I never Crystal. watched. Yeah, I never watched Soap. Yeah, yeah, never watched Soap. Anyway, I, yeah, yeah. she was ninety years that. old. She, she also played Helen Keller's mom in The Miracle Worker, which was like really? a big movie. If you okay. ever saw that. Okay. All right. Did we ever discuss Ray Lewis's son passing yes, away? Yes, and we know why now. We I know why now. The, I skipped over it. The lethal mix of. I it's mean, always it's just, fentanyl. Oh, I don't even know what fentanyl is, but it's always fentanyl. Fentanyl is just, I know. When I saw it, that's why I put it like, yeah, 28 years old. So yeah. rest in peace to him. Is that it? That is it for I me. I got one okay. that you don't have. And it makes sense that you wouldn't have it because it's the only one from the world of sports that you <laughs> Okay. Shit. If I asked you who won the Heisman Trophy in 1947? 1940, was it a Notre Dame player? Yes, it was. One of the horsemen? One of the four horsemen? <laughs> no. It was not Paul Horning. It's not. It was college football legend and pro football quarterback of the Chicago Bears, Johnny Lujak. Oh, sure, yeah. He won the Heisman Trophy in 1947. He was the oldest remaining until this past week surviving Heisman winner. Oh, wow. 98 years old. Wow. He led the Fighting Irish to not one, not two, but three national championships as its quarterback in the T-formation era. Under Newt Rockney? Don't know. Probably. Here's my favorite thing. The LA Times put in the story of his passing. The account, the play-by-play -play account of when he won the Heisman Trophy. Are you ready for this? Yep, yep, yep. I love this. I just love this. It was 19... This is the Los Angeles Times. Give them all the credit. It was 1947... And it was not much more than 30 minutes after Notre Dame beat USC 38-7 in the Coliseum before a typical Notre Dame-USC crowd of 104,593 in 1947. Wow. Notre Dame entered the game, number one in the country. USC entered the game, number three in the country. Notre Dame final, 38-7. He's getting out of the shower in the locker room at the Coliseum in 1947, Johnny Lujak from Connellsville, Pennsylvania. He's getting out of the shower when a an official from Notre Dame approached him as he was toweling off. <laughs> the conversation went like this. Hey, Johnny. Yeah? You won the Heisman. I did? Yeah. You need to go to New York City. How do I get to New York City? <laughs> you fly. I don't have any money for a ticket. We'll take care of it. That's the way that the was it. That was the way the Heisman Trophy. That's <laughs> wow. the way it was announced to him that he won the Heisman Trophy. Come a long way, haven't we? He was with that toweling off after beating USC. Unbelievable. Hey, Johnny. Yeah. He won the Heisman. Lujak is uh, name-checked in Rudy, the movie Rudy. Is that right? He's walking around the locker room for the first time. He's listing off all the... But Johnny Lujak, that's one uh, of them that he says about okay. his right, childhood heroes. So There you go. All right, headlines. Yes, you want some? I'd like some. The search for a rodeo... Boy, we've gone long. Go a on. rodeo goat. I'd like to alert our affiliates. We're going over. That's right. Ted Koppel. The search line. for a rodeo goat that had been missing for more than a week has the residents of a rural South Texas county 
really has brought the community right? together. The small town goat has brought everyone together. The missing goat posters describe the small town animal as having brown fur, a spot on its side, a black collar, and a prolapsed anus. A self-described Christian woman and a grandmother was arrested at an Ohio water park over the weekend. Witnesses told police she called a child a brat and a fat ass and pushed him off a floating toy. Wait a second. Mom, is that you? A woman was caught trying to smuggle five live snakes hidden in her bra by customs officers. Five snakes in her bra were discovered by customs officers in China. As horrifying as it sounds, I think most women can relate to a slimy, unwanted creature invading that area. And finally, a truck driver from Los Angeles known as Tank has finally opened up about what it's like living with two working penises. The man originally thought it was a curse until he realized, hey, at least I have two hands. Aren't you glad we went long for that? <laughs> really? That's the one that got you prolapsed anus didn't get you like that? I mean, God. Any I'm just trying to, to go. That. I'm just trying to go through my mind what people learned from episode 248. <laughs> oh God. Yeah, let look, me know when you find out. Look, there's nobody who listened to episode 248 who wouldn't win a trivia contest about the Pontiac no Silver Dome. I mean, that's one thing. We just Got everyone up to speed on the next <laughs> Pontiac Silverdome trivia contest. They're going to dominate. And we still don't know what the hell people see in Taylor Swift. So, again, it's not... I, I, I'm not trying to figure out what they see in her. I just don't know what makes her the biggest star who ever lived. That's what I'm talking about. I mean, she's talented. She's got, she can write a fucking pop song. She can write a song. So could a million She's people. gorgeous. She can play guitar. She puts on a good show. She loves kids. She does charity work. She's the dream. But, yeah, the biggest star who ever lived, it's, uh, it's impressive. Episode 248, dedicated to the Eras Tour, to Mbappe. Yep, Piper's new club team. Piper's new club team, yep, yep, and the Pontiac Silverdome. By the way, what else have you been emailed that you don't send me? Now that's all I'm going to think about. What other, what other, who else has a 280 grand a year job that they sent to you that you forgot to forward to me? Episode 248 (laughs) is now in the books.